please stand by. Full coverage of your Denver City Council begins now. meetings being interpreted into Spanish. Sam and Andrea, will you please introduce yourselves and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices. Yes, thank you for having us. Hello, everyone. This is Sam Guzman with the CLC. And along with my colleague, Andrea, we will be interpreting today's meeting into Spanish. Um, I will now give the instructions in Spanish on how to access interpretation. Buenas tardes a todos. Mi nombre es Samuel Guzman con la CLC. Y juntamente con mi colega Alejandra estaremos Andrea, Andrea, perdón, estaremos interpretando la reunión de hoy en español. Si desea escuchar la reunión en español, por favor vaya al icono de globo en su pantalla que dice interpretación y de ahí seleccione a su idioma preferido, en este caso inglés y español, y así podrá escuchar en español. Muchas gracias and thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Welcome to the Denver City Council meeting of Monday, January 29th, 2024. Council members, please rise as you are able and join Councilman Watson in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you very much. And Council members, join Councilman Watson as he leads us in the Denver City Council land acknowledgement. The Denver City Council honors and acknowledges that the land on which we reside is a traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. We also recognize the 48 contemporary tribal nations that are historically tied to the lands that make up the state of Colorado. We honor elders past, present, and future, and those who have stewarded this land throughout generations. We also recognize that government, academic, and cultural institutions were founded upon and continue to enact exclusions and erasures of indigenous people. May this acknowledgement demonstrate a commitment to working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression and inequities and recognize the current and future contributions of indigenous communities in Denver. Thank you, Councilman. Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Lewis. Present. Alvidras. Here. Flynn. Here. Gilmore? Here. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Here. Hines? Here. Tashman? Here. Parody? Here. Romero Campbell? Here. Sandoval? Here. Sawyer? Here. Watson? Here. Madam President? Here. 13 members present. There are 13 members present. Council has a quorum. Approval of the minutes. Are there any corrections to the minutes of January 22nd? Seeing none, the minutes have been approved. Council announcements. Are there any announcements today? Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. Just wanted to make an announcement that this Saturday, February 30, let me start over. <laughs> this Saturday, February 3rd, we will be holding a town hall for anyone who is part of Colorado Senate District 34. That includes myself, um, Councilman Watson, Councilman Hines, the two at large, Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez, Councilwoman Parity, um, 
three representatives from the state house, two Denver Public Schools representatives, and our RT RTD representative. It is, and Council President Torres, um, sorry about that. We are having it at North High School, which is um, 32nd and Clay from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. If you want to sign up for it, it's on all of our social media pages or you can reach out to anyone listed. Sorry, I don't have time to list everybody else, <laughs> but there's lots of us. So it's all everybody who touches um, Senate District 34. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. Just wanted to remind everyone tomorrow night, Tuesday, January 30th, is District 5 Projects Night, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at George Washington High School. So for any residents who have wondered why is that street closed or I thought that there was going to be a stoplight here, where is it, or any of those different kinds of things, this is an opportunity to come and meet directly with um, city agencies and answer some of your questions and give some feedback. So please join us. Um, the info is on our social media pages, but it's an open house. Feel free to come and join us tomorrow night, 5.30 to 7.30 at George. Thanks. Thank you, Councilman Watson. Thank you, Council President. Uh, pretty honored uh, to share. We're doing a proclamation by consent tonight for Brad Muley, uh, um, celebrating his 25 years of service to Denver Rescue uh, Mission. Brad could not be here, so we're gonna put this through um, consent, but I wanted to share a few um, words of praise from staff and folks who have worked the Denver Rescue Mission with Brad over all of these years. Um, they shared, Brad Muley served the most vulnerable men, women and families in our communities with uh, necessities like food and shelter and long-term programs for recovery to support people with the tools to become productive members of society from 1999 through 2024. And Denver Rescue Mission provided 15 million plus meals to the hungry, 5 million nights of shelter to people without a roof over their head and 1,478 long-term program completion. So wanted to just simply call out Brad and congratulate him on 25 years of serving our community. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Um, just an announcement, we need to make sure to keep that back area clear for access. We do have the room right next door to us open for overflow and the TV is on in there. If you're in the pews, we should be able to fit about four people in each section. So if you can um, kind of raise your hand up if you've got a, an extra space next to you so folks can um, distribute around. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Thank you, Council President. Um, I just wanted to make a few announcements for uh, District 4 and the uh, family shelter at the Tamarack. Uh, we've extended the GNA, the Good Neighbor Agreement um, application process for another 24 hours. Uh, so uh, people in the community have received an email, but if not, you can um, also go to our website to see that um, and to apply if you are still interested. I wanted to also thank um, so many volunteers from District 4 who came to uh, the shelter last Friday to help sort the tremendous amount of donations that we've received um, since opening and, and uh, talking about the shelter um, happening. And it was fantastic. People were together and really helping to 
just kind of sort through everything, figure out what we have. So thank you so much to all of the volunteers that were there. Um, two other things, I also wanted to thank the business leaders. We've had a business leader roundtable for District 4 um, specifically to start to challenge, uh, start to uh, address the challenges that we have in the district. And we have an early childhood roundtable that will be happening this Friday um, to also address uh, how we have good supports in an early learning environment for our youngest um, residents there at the Tamarack Shelter. So if anyone is interested, please feel free to um, email me and I would like to be able to plug you in however we can. And we are also looking for shelves. So <laughs> that was a plea for donations as well. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, there are no presentations, no communications, no proclamations being read this afternoon. Madam Secretary, will you read, um, please read the bills for introduction? From the Land Use, Transportation, and Infrastructure Committee 24-0011, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 2360 North Cherry Street in North Park Hill. 24-0012, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 653 North Marion Street in Country Club. From the Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee 24-0025, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed amendatory agreement between the city and county of Denver and Denver Health and Hospital Authority to provide paramedics and vans in support of the support team assisted response star program. Thank you very much. Council members, this is your last chance to call an item. Councilman Watson, will you make the motions for us tonight? Yes, Council President Torres. Thank you. I'll do a recap under resolutions. Councilwoman Lewis has called out resolution 31. Councilwoman Alvidrez has called out resolution 19 for questions and comments. Um, Councilwoman Lewis has also called out resolution 48. Under bills for introduction, no items have been called out and under bills for final consideration, Council Bill uh, 23-1960 has been called out by Councilwoman Parity for an amendment and by Councilman Flynn for a vote. Under pending, no items have been called out. Madam Secretary, please put the first item on our screens, resolution 31. Uh, approving a lease agreement with CoreCivic. Um, Councilwoman Lewis, what would you like for us to do with resolution 24-0031? Hi, Madam President. I would like to postpone this item by a week, so um, to next Monday. Okay, pursuant to rule 3.7. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Seeing no Thank one you. in queue. Madam Secretary, will you clear the queue? I think that's a holdover. Thank you very much. Seeing no one in queue, no motion is required. Council Resolution 24-0031 has been postponed. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. Resolution 24-0019, a resolution approving um, several mayoral appointments. Councilwoman Alvidrez, go ahead with your comments on Resolution 19. Thank you, Council President. I just wanted to congratulate the mayor's appointments and reappointments to the Denver American Indian Commission. This confirms the mayoral appointments and reappointments of the following individuals. Danielle C. Walker, Rafael Moldanado Badhand, Thomas Allen, Shauna Mayer, and Joshua Emerson. Appointment of Noel Bailey, Philip Bover, Cecilia Bernice Bull Bear Duncan, and Trenny Birch. I just want to say thank you for all the great work that this commission does uh, to support our Indigenous relatives. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Madam Secretary, go ahead and put the next item on our screens. This is Bill 24-0048, approving uh, a funding agreement with Elevation Community Land Trust. Councilwoman Lewis, what would you like for us to do with Resolution 24-0048? Hi, Madam President. I would like to postpone this, this um, as well for a week. Thank, Next you, Monday. Per 
Thank you, pursuant to rule 3.7. Uh, no motion is required. Resolution 24-0048 has been postponed. Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. Uh, Bill 23-1960, uh, amending an ordinance for the removal of shelter. Councilman Parity, will you please put Council Bill 23-1960 on the floor for final passage? Um, it's my honor to do so. I move that Council Bill 23-1960 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you very much. And it has been moved and seconded. Thank you. Councilwoman Parity, your motion to amend. Thanks, Madam President. I move that Council Bill 23-1960 be amended as follows. Number one on page two, strike line one and replace with open quote, period when the removal will occur, period, close quote. Uh, number two on page two, strike lines two through five and replace with the following. Open quote, subsection one, it shall be an exception to this subsection B if the manager has memorialized in writing in the order of removal, the department's conclusion that enforcement is or was necessary to mitigate a condition that would cause greater imminent peril to the health or safety of any person than the threat to health posed by exposure to existing weather conditions and facts supporting that conclusion, period, close quote. Number three, on page two, strike lines 18 to 21 and replace with the following, open quote, subsection two, the manager of the Department of Public Health and Environment has memorialized in writing the department's conclusion that enforcement is or was necessary to mitigate a condition that would cause greater imminent peril to the health or safety of any person than the threat to health posed by exposure to existing weather conditions and facts supporting that conclusion, semicolon and, close quote. Number four on page three, strike line 21 and replace with open quote, period when the removal will occur, period, close quote. Uh, no, and number five on page three, strike lines 22 to 25 and replace with the following, open quote, subsection one, it shall be an exception to this subsection B if the manager of the Department of Public Health and Environment has memorialized in writing the department's conclusion that removal of the shelter is or was necessary to mitigate a condition that would cause greater imminent peril to the health or safety of any person than the threat to health posed by exposure to existing weather conditions and facts supporting that conclusion. Thank you very much. And that's been moved and seconded. Uh, comments first by members of council. We'll start with Councilwoman Parity. Um, yes, commenting just on the amendment, the, the purpose of the amendment, it, it does two things. Um, first of all, it has a, just a plain language edit to um, what is required for the public health department um, in the instance where uh, an agency would like to use its removal powers when it is below 32 degrees. Um, previously, we had that the department has certified by reason of facts stated in writing, and we just made that um, a little more plain English um, to make it clear that all, all the department needs to do is um, put it in writing in whatever form. It doesn't have to be fancy. Um, and then the second amendment is, um, again, sort of a simplifying amendment, um, taking away the requirement that there be two hours of additional warm temperatures beyond the period when a shelter or shelters are being removed. So now um, either the predicted temperature or actual temperature, depending on the agency, um, has to be above 32 just during the period of time when any shelters are being removed. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Uh, seeing no one else in uh, queue, I just wanna thank council members who sent questions to the co-sponsors. Um, to the co-sponsors for working through those and the mayor's administration for your willingness to meet with us um, over the last two weeks while this had been um, in delay. Um, and also uh, wanna thank um, our, our city attorney for the legal document um, that emphasizes that this does not uh, cut into the parks charter authority to govern parks. Um, and that was one of the feedback um, areas that I've been getting a lot of email around 
um, confusing uh, what we're doing with um, uh, the intention behind the voter initiative um, that included parks as a place to camp. So just wanna make sure that folks um, both in and outside the city know that um, parks remains um, under parks authority and not uh, subject to this ordinance. Um, seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call please on the amendment to Council Bill 23-1960. Lewis. Aye. Alvidrez. Aye. Flynn. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Hines. Aye. Cashman. Aye. Parody. Aye. Romero Campbell. Aye. Sandoval. Aye. Sawyer. Aye. Watson. Aye. Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. <clears throat> 13 ayes. Uh, Council Bill 23-1960 has been amended. Councilwoman Parody, will you please put Council Bill 1960 on the floor for final passage as amended? I move that Council Bill 23-1960 <coughs> as amended as amended be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you. And that has been uh, moved and seconded. Thank you. Comments by members of Council on Bill 23-1960. Councilman, uh, okay, Councilwoman Parity. Oh, okay, um, some quick trigger fingers on the <laughs> speaking buttons there. Um, yeah, so I just wanna say, um, I, I'm really grateful to all the work among the co-sponsors among this body um, and with the mayor and the agencies on this bill. At the end of the day, it's a really modest bill. What it says is, let's pause the removal of a shelter that someone is living in um, at times when it's freezing outside, 32 degrees or below, um, under the three forms of authority that the city has most commonly used to do that. It doesn't touch the authority of the fire department. It doesn't touch the authority of Denver Health. It doesn't touch the entirety of the criminal code aside from the urban camping ban. Um, and I do wanna pause and note that um, I think we've, we've all sort of um, had said to us quite a bit in recent weeks that 81% of Denver um, voted not to repeal the urban camping ban. And I just wanna note, um, I was one of the voters actually that voted not to repeal the urban camping ban. And that was in part because a lot of our homeless service providers at the time um, said that it was an imperfect measure, that it was gonna have um, unintended consequences. And so that it actually wasn't necessarily um, supportive to vote in favor of that repeal. So that is not a measure of support in the city um, for the criminalization of homelessness. Um, and I will stand by that. Um, this, this ordinance also doesn't touch, um, uh, there's a narrower ordinance of DOTI authority that impacts areas that the public actually use for passage. And so if we're concerned about sidewalk access, wheelchair access, ADA access, um, there is another ordinance that impacts that as well. Um, what, it doesn't, what it does impact is the ability to clear broader areas of city right of way um, where people commonly camp, such as, um, such as the, the, the edges around the sidewalks. Um, it has never touched our ability to help people move indoors if they voluntarily want to do that or to offer people any kind of services, healthcare, housing, anything like that. The city can and should do that every day of the year, especially when it's cold outside. Um, and finally, it leaves an exception if the public health department decides in its expertise um, that some greater threat to human health requires the city to move a shelter under one of these three authorities while it is freezing outside. Um, and the other thing I just wanna address directly is that there are very good reasons why people who are living unsheltered may not access the emergency sheltering system on any given night. I think it can be hard for those of us that have never experienced that to imagine all the things that might go into someone's decision-making at that moment. Um, and even the reasons why human decision-making at that moment may be imperfect or lacking full information. Um, first of all, the emergency sheltering system will not be open if it's between 20 and 32 degrees, um, although we're working on that and I'm proud of that. 
um, someone may not even know that cold temperatures are predicted for that night if they don't have a smartphone, which they may not. Um, someone may fear that if they accept um, some kind of transportation or get on the bus or walk to emergency shelter, um, that their tent will be removed while they are inside, which this ordinance would prevent. Uh, someone may be very far away from all of our emergency shelters. None of those exist in the far southeast, far southwest, um, or far northeast parts of the city. Um, so they may simply be unable to get there, especially if it's already getting cold. They may need to be at work in the morning near where they are currently camping. Um, something like a third of people that are living um, in homelessness are working. So I've heard dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of stories from people about what it meant either to have their tent moved while they were in emergency shelter in the cold in one of our tough Denver winters, or to be told that they had to pack it up and move it along while it was freezing outside. And I'm telling you, those practices are inhumane, incredibly damaging to people who are already struggling with so much harm and social neglect. Um, I'm glad we had less of that this past winter as we focused on offering people spaces in our new non-congregate shelter system. But unfortunately, although we may have a thousand less people living in unsheltered homelessness, there are still thousands of Denverites falling into that situation. And until we are able to get to the roots of our incredibly challenging housing crisis, there will continue to be new Denverites living in that situation every day of the year. Um, so those people deserve this small protection. Um, and finally, we can and we should make emergency shelter available at 32 degrees instead of 20 degrees. We can and we should make it available throughout the city. We can and we should reassess our systems for keeping people safe in cold temperatures. Um, and I absolutely commit to my colleagues, the mayor and his agencies to work really hard on continuing that conversation. But at the end of the day, removing someone's tent when it's freezing out is cruel. Denver can do better. Um, and alongside my co-sponsors and the 42 community groups from unions to shelter providers, who signed our letter of support, I ask my colleagues for their yes votes tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much, Councilman Flynn. <laughs> Councilman Flynn. Thank you, Madam President. And uh, thank you to uh, the sponsors for the uh, two additional amendments, which helps to uh, clarify uh, some of the uh, imprecision. I believe there's still a lot of imprecision in here. Uh, it was unclear to me, for instance, at first, whether that four-hour window, which we changed to two hours, and now uh, we're completely removing, applied to the entire period of a cleanup or just the initial period where people were, were in a, the act of physically moving and relocating somewhere, preferably to indoor uh, shelter uh, or not. So the way I interpret it now is that it applies only to that discrete period during a, a cleanup when uh, individuals are being asked to move and uh, I know we're not in questions right now, or I guess we, we could be, uh, if I could see people nodding yes, mm -hmm. so uh, thank you. Um, it's still imprecise to me, uh, uh, so many of the provisions of this bill, uh, that I still, my preference is that we still rely on our public health experts and our safety experts to make these calls. Uh, the North Star, to which all of our policies surrounding homelessness should be pointing, is that which helps people get indoors. Uh, we had presentations on this bill that showed very graphically the physical harms of remaining out in the cold as temperatures drop, uh, fingers and toes lost to frostbite, uh, whether people are asked to move or not. Uh, the are temperatures that are not meant for people to live. Uh, we've already lost people on the streets this winter in part uh, because of the cold and during the recent extreme cold snap. I know that some of our police officers and our homeless outreach folks went out 
uh, broadly throughout uh, the city looking for those individuals that they've encountered frequently and offered assistance who are remaining on the street to see if they're all right. Can we get you indoors? Uh, what can we do for you? You shouldn't be out in this cold. It's dangerous. And we did lose at least one person that I know about uh, who took shelter in a place where he could not be seen and was later found uh, deceased from the cold. Uh, this bill does nothing to protect the people from it. And I believe it would result in people actually staying on the streets longer than they otherwise might. Everything that we do should be aimed at getting people off the streets and not in staying on the streets longer than they otherwise would have. I don't believe there's anything compassionate or dignified in leaving people on the street in freezing cold, surrounded by human waste, leaking propane tanks, discarded needles that need to be cleaned up. Uh, I believe this bill will inhibit our ability to maintain the public health. It will lead to more death on the street. And I recommend uh, no vote on it. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman Hines. Uh, thank you, Council President. And you mentioned comments. Uh, there are no questions now, is that correct? Both, yeah, we're not in a Okay, thank you. Um, so I just had a conversation with one of the bill sponsors 10 minutes before this, um, uh, the, the council meeting. And so that has created some additional questions for me. And I apologize that I'm asking the questions now, but, um, but here we are. So um, one of my concerns was about, um, uh, about sidewalk access. That is the reason I became politically active was the access to transportation for people with disabilities, including sidewalk access. And as we just heard from Councilmember Parity, uh, she believes that this um, uh, sidewalk access is still preserved, or are there other ways to preserve sidewalk access? And I, I, but I know that the mayor's office has mentioned that it would impede sidewalk access. So is there anyone here from the mayor's office or anywhere who might be able to uh, help me reconcile the access um, that Councilmember Parity says is, is preserved and the access the mayor's office says is not preserved? I'm gonna look to Nick, perhaps, unless he wants somebody else to run. Look like Marley. Not Marley. Good afternoon, Hi, Wendy. Wendy Shea, Special Counsel, the Department of Public Safety. So the answer to that's a little nuanced because what we're enforcing in the city when we're talking about public rights of way is the encumbrance ordinance. And this, this does specifically speak to the encumbrance ordinance. So it would preclude encumbrances on the public right of way from being enforced pursuant to that, that ordinance. Okay, um, I know I have the, the advantage of actually looking this up just a few minutes before, but it looks like uh, the, the ordinance that Councilmember Parity just mentioned, new glasses, just got them on Friday and I'm already setting them aside. So, all right. Um, it is 38.86. Um, it says it's unlawful for any person to knowingly obstruct a highway street, railway, et cetera, um, whether the obstruction arises from the person's act alone or from the person's acts and the acts of others. Um, and uh, 
uh, for purposes of this section, observe, obstruct means to render impassable or render passage unreasonably inconvenient or hazardous. So is that, I know I read that quickly. And again, I have the advantage of having looked at this for about 10 minutes, but um, uh, it, could we not use it as a mechanism to ensure the right of way is clear? So unless I'm misunderstanding, and I might be, because I know that there was amendments. So if we're talking about 3686, the camping ordinance, that's different from 49246, the order of removal that I believe this still applies to and was just amended, but perhaps I didn't understand that, that part when we were running the amendments just a minute ago. To totally fair. Um, so perhaps uh, there are several other people in the queue, so perhaps um, I hate to do these on the fly kinds of conversations, but perhaps we could do a little bit of work. The, the, what I'm quoting or what I'm reading from is 3886, as opposed to the other section that you had mentioned. Um, thank you. Um, one other question that I have, um, where did it go? Um, oh, um, also in conversations with uh, the mayor's office, uh, House 1000, we took 1,135 people off um, our streets and into housing, and uh, we got more than 95% compliance rating. And um, it is my understanding for the mayor's office that they don't believe that we would have that sort of compliance rate should this pass. And so I wanted to give uh, either the mayor's office or um, public health and environment, the opportunity to um, help explain why our compliance rate would not be so high. Um, looks like we have someone coming up. Thank you, Andy. Hello, members of council. My name is Andy Phelps. I'm the director of encampment response in the mayor's office. Um, I, I believe that part of why we were so successful with our House 1000 initiative uh, is that we, we use something called encampment <coughs> resolution. And so what that means is we brought enforcement and outreach together through a seven-day posting in order to move people inside. Um, so each encampment resolution move-in was coupled with a seven-day posting. Uh, so we believe that enforcement of the ordinance uh, truly does act as a catalyst for people to move inside. So enforcement shows up on the day of the seven-day posting. They, they advise and they say, you are not allowed to, you're not able to stay here, but you can move into a hotel, a hotel room. Uh, we do believe that uptake into the uh, non-congregate shelter would have been much lower if we were not able to have the seven-day posting. So if, um, if we said you can stay here or you can go into shelter, um, the, the um, response rate would be far lower than if we said, you have to leave and we have shelter for you. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, I mean, that's just, I think that my, what my experience tells me, not only as you know, working in policy at the state and local level, but I also spent uh, over a decade as a homeless outreach worker. Um, and that's just my experience telling you that uh, I believe that uptake into the non-congregate shelter would have been much lower if we did not couple it with the seven-day posting. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you, Council President. Before we move on, Councilman Hines, Councilman, I'm sorry, Councilman Anshul, um, Anshul Baga. <laughs> Can you chime in on the prior question around right-of-way encumbrance? 
Sure. Thanks, Council President Amshabaga, Assistant City Attorney. Um, Councilman Hines, you were asking about an ordinance 3886 called Obstruction of Streets and Passageways. It's a separate ordinance that is not touched by these, this council bill. That ordinance says what you said, which is it's unlawful person, for a person to knowingly obstruct a highway, street, sidewalk, etc. Obstruct is defined as rendering it impassable or rendering passage unreasonably inconvenient or hazardous. To your question about whether that would allow the city to remove somebody from a sidewalk if they're obstructing it, I would say the answer is yes, if, it, if the obstruction is as it is defined in the ordinance. There are potentially provisions in this ordinance that may make prosecution difficult, and I'm sure that the city attorney's office prosecution section may have some points on that. But as a general matter, yeah, the ordinance says what you read it to be. Yeah, thank you, um, Mr. Braga. I guess the nature of the question is the mayor's office has maintained in the past that um, that the passage of this bill would impede right-of-way access. So I'm, I'm hoping to give the, the mayor's office or the city, the other part of the city attorney's office uh, the opportunity to respond. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't know if the mayor's office has had a chance to show the ordinance to another, another city attorney like Wendy Shea here. Um, but you can ask the mayor's office. Obviously, that's my interpretation of what I just gave you. Got it. Thank you. Thank you, Council President. Thank you. Um, I'll wait and see if they flag me if they want to answer that question later. Um, we'll keep going through the queue, though. Councilwoman Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. Um, just want to thank the sponsors for working with me last week and postponing this when I was sick um, so that I could um, be here to support this ordinance. Um, some of my concerns were, does this allow camping in any of our parks at any time? And as we heard from the bill sponsor, it does not. So you cannot camp in our parks at any time or our rec centers. So this um, does not circumvent any authority that is under our charter that the manager of parks and recreation is giving. And I also be believe that this is protecting a vulnerable population and protecting our city workers. Should our city workers be out and about when it's 32 degrees and under removing people from shelter? No, I don't believe that they, we should be doing that. I believe that we should be working as we talked about to decommission encampments. Um, right now, currently it's almost 60 degrees on January 29th. Is it okay whether for people to be moving in and out and be providing shelter 100%? Is this the humane thing to do? 100%. So just want to thank the bill sponsors. I had the, that concern and I felt um, some of the wording, a lot of times when we write ordinances, we use legalese and it is open up to determination by an attorney. And so having the amendment that was brought forward by Councilwoman Parity, giving a little bit more clarity on where the manager of Department of Human Denver Public Health and Environment, in writing the order of removal, the department's conclusion that the enforcement was necessary, it's just in plain English, which means it's not open inter to interpretation, which means that yes, if the department, if the dep manager of the department of the DDPHE finds that it is necessary to remove people if there's a fire or a more greater eminent peril to the health and safety of any person then exposed by um, existing weather conditions, we can move forward with that. 
And just to be clear, I've been um, filtering emails about this ordinance all week. It does not continue to allow people to camp in Denver. It doesn't allow camping on our sidewalks. It merely says we are not going to remove people from shelter with 32 degree weather or below. And I believe that's the humane thing to do. And I will be voting yes tonight. And I urge my colleagues to do so as well. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I think that, and I just also want to thank the bill sponsors for raising this issue and really generating a discussion about um, freezing temperatures, um, human life, and the importance of bringing people indoors. I think everyone who sits at this dais has been deeply concerned and has had personal experience and stories from each of the districts that we represent. Um, I know I do. Uh, the bill has created, I think, a much needed focus for our city departments to articulate their processes for how we are interacting with our unhoused neighbors. And I think it also has elevated um, the issue and understanding from the mayor's office as far as what that coordination looks like. However, I do not think that this bill helps us reach the goal that we are trying to achieve. I know that we have several encampment resolutions over the time period that this bill has been introduced. And I quite frankly do not know how we would have been able to proceed if this bill had been in place. We have said that in our effort to move people indoors, to shelter, to housing, we need to operate in ways that allow city outreach to move to encampment resolution. And I know we have heard from individuals and research about the effect of freezing weather on people. For many of the same reasons that were stated earlier, um, I don't believe that this bill helps us address and achieve many of the protections that are most desired. Uh, unfortunately, um, this bill does not address some of the key components of what we had heard about protecting people's possessions and coming inside. I think this bill makes it so that we lose the ability to pair our outreach and enforcement. Um, I can't, I guess, in good faith, you know, jeopardize all that we have done to stand up a strategy for individuals, in particular, in particular families, and in particular, families of a new shelter in Southeast Denver. Um, forcing, I think, how, how I read it and, and what has been shared with me is that this also forces the siding of, tic of tickets and criminal offense. That becomes the tool. And I just, don't, I just don't agree with that being our best strategy. Um, I also wanna highlight what an amazing effort from this council to approve a family shelter in Southeast Denver. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. And I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that that shelter is successful. Um, and I believe that this bill will jeopardize that. I look forward to partnering with the mayor's office, city departments, and my fellow council members to continue to work towards codifying processes, bringing together our best thinking across departments and across this dais. I think we can do better. I think we're creative. I think that this just isn't the strategy to get that done. And for this reason, um, I encourage, I'm gonna be a no on this bill tonight, but I'm committed to a better and more collective strategy for, um, for all of Denver and that we recognize the voice of all of our residents, our business leaders, um, for those who are unhoused for our families. Thank you, Madam President. 
Thank you. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of course, right when I speak. Um, thank you, Madam President. I don't think that this bill set out to solve all of the issues that people um, that are, are living outside are, are presented with. I don't think that's what this bill does. I don't think that was the intention of this bill. But what this is is just a small step to bringing dignity and a sense of humanity and care for members of our community that, that are doing their best to survive while our city continues to navigate this housing crisis. This policy change will not limit law enforcement operations. It will not stop sweeps from happening, but it will be helpful in causing undue harm. We know that sweeps do not necessarily get people off the streets, but simply move people from one block to the next. We talked about this time and time again at town halls. And what we're doing now in below freezing temperatures, not only is it not good for people who are unhoused, but it is also, and I agree with Councilwoman Sandoval, Council Pro Tem, that it is also not good for our city employees to be out there either in below freezing temperatures. This bill does not limit the ability to do outreach. It does not limit the ability for people to move indoors. All of those things will be available no matter what. Unless we have somewhere for people to go during a sweep, um, then I do see this bill as necessary because I've heard time and time again, even when there are sweeps occurring, if there is the offer, are we sure that there is space in our congregate shelters? Are we sure that there is space in even our non-congregate shelters? It's not always the case. So people are picking up their homes and moving them in the freezing cold. I support research-based medical expert informed policies that will keep people safe and, and from suffering unnecessary medical issues that have lasting impacts on their lives. So I will be gladly supporting this tonight, um, and I ask my colleagues to do the same. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman Cashman. Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, Madam President. Um, I couldn't be more honored to uh, uh, serve and partner with uh, Mayor Johnston, his entire team, all the people from the agencies and all the people uh, all my council colleagues on this dais. Um, I want to thank the mayor's team for their work in getting so many of our unhoused residents off the street and their Herculean efforts uh, to serve the migrants who continue to come to Denver. Uh, I believe we are all headed in the exact same direction. We all want to get people into safe, secure housing as soon as possible. We just see a slightly different path to get that done. This reminds me of a family going on a trip and you come to a turn in the road and one person says, go that way. The other person says, no, you better go this way because if you don't, you're going to get into this, this, and this problem. And we're all, he all headed in, in, in the absolutely same direction. Um, I, I do not believe that this bill will make major changes to the ability of our agencies to keep our right-of-way, our sidewalks, our trails, and our parks safe and accessible. I do not believe it places major obstacles to the enforcement of the camping ban. I do believe it is humane 
and best practice in a public health approach to public safety. I understand the concerns of those who oppose this bill. Uh, I think we can implement this policy so their concerns uh, do not materialize. There are good folks in every population, I believe, and there are bad folks in every population, whether it's city council, the police department, the department of transportation infrastructure, or the unhoused community. I do believe there are some people who are out on the street because of their own bad choices along the way. But I believe that far more are there uh, due to long existing, deep-seated societal failures. I think it reasonable that we all share in the fact that they are without adequate shelter. Um, no matter how cold it gets, as, as we've talked, you, you can always offer service. This bill does not stop anyone from urging someone in off the street. The vast majority of those who are unsheltered uh, will come inside to safe, dignified, secure housing with room for them, a door that locks, and a place for their belongings. Um, without this bill, we still do not force people inside. When we do an encampment resolution and a whole bunch of people are invited into our hotels, but there are still some people left out on the street as there have been, we don't force them inside. They'll come inside if we have a, a secure room for them. But in the cases where we don't, they stay outside. And, and I do not believe that this bill changes uh, that situation. Again, we're all in, on the same team headed in the same direction. Um, we're just looking at the same information and, and looking at a different path to get there. Um, the average human body is 57 to 60% water. Infants are 75 to 78% water. Water freezes at 32 degrees. I don't see a reason to not pass this bill. Um, as far as the fears, this does not stop the camping ban. It does not give permission for people to camp on the streets of Denver. It's when we can't get a cleanup done, when the temperature is uh, going below 32 de degrees for those hours. We're in, as Councilwoman Sandoval pointed out, we're in, we're in the last week of, of January, one of the coldest periods of the year. You sweep all day, every day this, this week. In, late into the night, we're going to have very little freezing temperatures. If that's what your goal is, is to move people, you'd be able to do it all this week. I do. I, I, I lean towards the statistics that Councilwoman Parity put forward a couple of weeks ago, more than the uh, statistics uh, that the mayor's team put forward. I still, and I'll just repeat it because it's true, the mayor's got a great team. They're doing incredibly good work. We're just disagreeing a bit on this on this policy. So I I, I am a I'm a sponsor of the bill. I believe it will save more lives, more fingers and toes than it will cost in the difficulty. There will be some complexities for our agencies. It does make it a little bit more complex. If they've posted an encampment and the temperature falls too low, apparently they will need to repost. I understand that, make it a little bit more difficult for them 
to arrange for the um, needed agencies and subcontractors to get encampment resolution complete. I believe that's true. Um, but like I said, I believe what we gain is far more than, than what we lose. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Uh, this has been a, a, a complex discussion. Uh, a long time we've been discussing this. Uh, I don't know if it's been eight weeks um, um, that we've been looking at bills and, and amendments. Uh, I believe the primary opportunity that municipal elected officials have is to make what is inherently a complex bureaucratic process simple for constituents. Um, yes, the complexity within city government is not intentional, it just simply is. As I engage in dialogue around legislation, my focus is always on does this change reduce the complexities of the current process? Council Bill 1960, by any measurement, makes a very complex, very emotional, a life-impacting process more difficult. It is why the public health department that will be required by this bill to implement the outcomes of this bill consistently has stated that it is too complex. And these are the folks that are gonna be asked to actually execute on the outcomes of this bill if this bill is passed. I applaud the sponsors for making several amendments to the original bill, even making amendments tonight um, prior to us reviewing continuing our debate and, and, and voting tonight. There have been several weeks of amendments which speaks to the level of complexity in this bill. And I say to the folks who are here, the folks who are listening and my fellow council members, if this bill passes and becomes law and the administration does not veto this bill, there are no amendments um, that will be left. There'll be no more weeks of slight changes, small changes, the requirement when we do less legislation that is this complex that has required almost eight weeks of weekly amending communicates that this process is way too complex. I've listened to each of my colleagues, uh, my neighbors and community members, um, the overwhelming response from D9 constituents, and that's who I was elected to serve, especially in Curtis Park and the ballpark neighborhoods is to vote no unequivocally on this bill. I will be voting no on this bill. Details matter. And the details of this bill will impact lives. I've shared a story about my sister, I won't repeat it again. But this bill will impact lives. We are seeking solutions in a bill that should be done operationally. The compassionate step, the compassionate process is to increase the flexibility and agility that currently exists within the departments responsible for this, and their work should be applauded and continued. I'm asking my colleagues to do the same for the following reasons. This bill will be based on a calculation from the department responsible for coordinating it. Um, this bill, based on a calculation from the department responsible for coordinating it, will impact the health and safety uh, cleanups and encampments for almost one third of the year. Now, I know that one of the sponsors have put forward a calculation um, the public health department that's once again responsible for implementing this has put forward their calculation and they stand by that calculation of the impact. If we as council are working towards repealing the camping ban, which I believe this is one step towards that. The last time that this was tried, Denver residents did 
disapprove that try by 82% of the vote. I think as council members, if we want to do this, and we believe that's the right thing, we should bring it back to the people for a vote. Number two, as we have worked through the process over the last several months, I submit city council members should be awarded a certificate of meteorology. We should, and I'm saying to Mike Nelson and Kathy Saban and, and everyone else in the news, watch out, we, we can take your jobs. We have had to understand meteorology in a way that is not something that should be a part of our jobs. This ordinance is not so simple as looking at 32 degrees or below. Uh, there must be a seven day notification. The city must review the forecast five days into the seven days. If the temperature forecast changes, then a new seven day notice is needed and will continue to be needed to, to be needed and to be extended. It will allow individuals to continue camping on our sidewalks and outdoors. And I submit, um, not because I believe this, um, we have encampments in District 9. There was one encampment in Ballpark that was over 250 people um, in that encampment around the post office. Individuals were staying in that encampment and we were able to do encampment resolution that provided indoor shelter for everyone in that encampment. Uh, this resolution will impact that. The administration, the community, city council members, service providers, and many of you viewing this discussion collaborated on Housing 1000. We moved individuals, residents living in, in encampments indoors. The administration is clear that this would have impacted their ability. They said it in writing, They've said it over the last eight weeks, and they said it again tonight uh, to, de to decommission these encampments. We should listen to the input from our healthcare professionals who have consistently stated um, that this bill is too complicated and that they do not support this. If this bill passes tonight, I'm encouraging the administration to veto this bill. Um, I'm asking my colleagues to vote no. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Hi, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I want to. I think. I think his name was Andrew. I just had a quick question before I um, made my comments. If that would be all right. Yep, he's on his way up. Okay. Um, I can ask it while you're while you're making your way up. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I understood around the seven day notice. So it's my understanding that the seven day notice still goes up. Um, then the outreach efforts or offers would happen. Um, and then maybe on day seven, say it gets too cold and we end up postponing the removal for anyone who didn't sign up for shelter um, while still having a move-in day for those who did sign up. Um, are you saying that you believe that that's going to shift an incentive for folks to go inside when they're being offered housing? Yeah, I think that whenever we do a seven-day posting, it's informing the people that are illegally camped that they cannot stay there. So I think that whenever they are offered at that time uh, a choice to go into a hotel, they, they take that. So I believe that those two work together uh, towards getting people inside. So you think that th that that would disincentivize folks to go into housing? I, I guess I'm not following the logic. Can you can you sure. maybe walk me through it? Yeah, I think that enforcement and outreach working together have been shown as a best practice and actually uh, reducing homelessness. I think that if you just offer outreach without any enforcement, you're not going to have as much success. If you just do enforcement with no outreach, you're not going to have as much success. And that, that's just coming from my experience doing this work at the state level uh, at another municipality and just studying best practices. 
Um, I, I don't think that enforcement alone, obviously, uh, is an end, would end homelessness, but I do think that enforcement often does act as a life-saving action. I've personally witnessed DPD officers, while they're doing enforcement, offer to pro provide transportation to a hotel that the city pays for. So I think that often um, we're kind of staked against each other, like one side is empathetic and one side is about order, and I just don't see it that way. I, I see this as um, my experience as an outreach worker and personally knowing people that have died outside, it's because of that experience that I'm so passionate about best practices and good policy, and I just do not believe this to be good policy. I think it, uh, in my opinion, is a dangerous experiment that could lead to more injury and more death outside. Is that is that your opinion, or is that an opinion that's gr grounded in data? That's I guess that's what I'm trying to. Sure, that's that's assess. my. Is that be... anecdotal data, or is that is that hard data that you're providing to us in this moment? Because I'm not sure I'm catching it. Sure, I think that that is my opinion based off of uh, decades of experience doing this work. Okay, thank you. That's really helpful. That's my only question. Thank you very much, Councilwoman Gilmore. Uh, no, I, I had a quick statement. Oh. I'm so sorry. Oh, please go ahead. Okay, sorry, thank you. Um, I just, I, I wanted to respond to some of the comments that I've heard from my colleagues and I do apologize that I'm not there. Um, so one of them is, I just want us to really ground ourselves in what we are discussing and what we're not discussing. And I think we've talked about um, getting folks housed and, and the House 1000, from the House 1000 lens. And I just want us to remember that like, that's not the only strategy in which we employ to get folks housed. And we're not necessarily talking about large encampments, um, like the 250 folks that we mentioned. And we welcome them into D District 8, those 250 people, um, or those 250 tents, which ended up being a lot more folks. Uh, we're talking about pausing when the temperature is predicted to be lower than 32 degrees. And so like not a permanent, um, we're not talking about permanency. I also want to remind us as we're as we are um, having this discussion, um, what what sweeps are, because I think we might lose track of that. So when we are talking about sweeps and we are talking about the folks that are living in encampments, it's it's um, things that are being destroyed. It's tents, it's bedding, it's food, it's cooking equipment, it's clothing, it's shoes, um, it's other items that people need. Um, to survive and oftentimes those things are destroyed or thrown away or removed. Um, and what the research has shown us is that when folks are um, having to move in those freezing cold temperatures, it just places them more at risk um, to a number of things, but more specifically to potentially their graves. Um, and when we start talking about those in our communities that make up folks who are experiencing homelessness disproportionately, um, those folks are BIPOC. We we're disproportionately, we see folks that are black, brown, and indigenous um, who are experiencing unsheltered homelessness. People with disabilities comprise of 24% of those experiencing homelessness and often have medical conditions, conditions or mobility issues that uh, make, make suites especially dangerous for that population of folks. They lose vital documents when we're talking about suites, um, destroying vital records like social security cards, birth certificates, things that really prevent folks from getting gain from employment. Um, they also create criminal records. Um, they often je jeopardize housing opportunities. Um, and and, and th like that's just the bare minimum. 
I also want to remind us when we when we first started to have this discussion, um, we partnered with Be Connected to get data from folks who are currently living in unsheltered homelessness. And that early feedback indicated that only 6% of those living in un, unsheltered homelessness felt like they had adequate clothing to survive in the cold. And 85% um, of those respondents said that they had a fear of losing their, their belongings. Um, and that was often why, uh, that was often what prevented them from seeking temporary uh, shelters in these freezing conditions because they'd come back to nothing. Um, and so I just wanna, I just want us to remember like that we're talking about people and we're talking about humans, but there has been a number of different data points that we've been able to provide. And we don't have to be harsh in our approach to how we handle our siblings living on the streets. Um, there's kindness and humanity and delaying a relocation a few days until the temperature is not life-threatening, right? Like it's it's simply a pause um, to what we are talking about. And there have been countless studies that have told us um, in partnership with the CCD, with the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council, that um, the end result of those studies is increases in mortality. Um, and so I just want to just ground us in like the humanity of the individuals that we're talking about. We are not undoing the ca urban camping ban. That's not what we're talking about. We're simply saying, let's take a pause, let's take a breath and let's give folks an opportunity or give the weather an opportunity to warm up just a bit before we ask folks to move because the majority of folks are not living in these large encampments. A lot of folks are living in maybe one to two and those just have such critical um, results when we move folks um, in that weather when it, when folks are freezing cold um, and their items are getting wet getting wet and they aren't like me I mean I'm, I have COVID now but m most folks aren't like me where I can stay home and feel better right you are getting better um, in a tent um, in cold clothing in cold in cold and wet sleeping bags um, and so I just want us to be cognizant and so I just hope and urge my colleagues um, to vote yes. Um, in support of this because it is actually the humane thing to do. So thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Councilwoman, Councilwoman Gilmore. Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you, Council President. I've appreciated uh, the questions that my colleagues have posed and um, the engagement with my community. And I wanna really thank the sponsors and advocacy groups for all of your work on this. and. This is, as much as I can see through all of the data, it's a logical and data-supported action to ensure that when it's freezing, when it's below 32 degrees, we're not trying to move people who are some of our most vulnerable, most likely have medical issues, our older adults, or our children. All overwhelmingly, people of color members of our LGBTQ community, and those who use assistive devices, such as walkers and wheelchairs. Mayor Johnston has begun a different conversation in our city, and to not support this bill seems opposed to what the administration is trying to accomplish. Absent of all of the testimony that the city agencies have provided, it's really a need to be more humane and compassionate to those in our community who are most in need and their survival supplies. It's just not rational to try and move encampments when it's below 32 degrees and the weather is freezing. And so I will be supportive of this tonight. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much.
folks, we've got a timeline to get these done uh, before five, hopefully. Um, next in queue, Councilwoman Alvides. Thank you so much, Council President. Um, I had one question for the bill sponsors, which is what is the enforcement of this ordinance? To any of the, of the sponsors? Yeah, any sponsors. Okay, Councilwoman Perry, do you wanna start? Um, yeah, and it might be better directed to Anshul, but I think, um, I guess the question would be whether a violation of the ordinance um, would lead to a cause of action that someone would have um, for any, if they did undergo frostbite or something like that. Um, and I actually would like to hear um, if Anshul has a thought or John. Thanks, Councilman, Councilman um, Anshul Baga, Assistant City Attorney. So the Again, the ordinance prohibits enforcement of certain ordinances. If the ordinance was enforced under those ordinances, then I suppose someone would have a defense to the prosecution under those ordinances. I also suppose under 1-13, it would be a criminal violation. However, the people in charge of enforcing those criminal violations are the same people who are in charge of enforcing all the ordinances. Okay, thank you. Good, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanna start by thanking everyone who has worked on this issue. First and foremost, the advocates that visit encampments regularly to provide support and even during the removal to support and hold the city accountable during these sweeps. It is, it is because of them that we know what's happening during sweeps. Shout out to some people that I see here, like Amy Beck, Caesar the Barber. Brittany isn't here, but she does the surveys and some of our providers like Didi, I see, out, I see you out there. Um, the work that you do is an invaluable part of our city. Secondly, I wanna thank my colleagues who worked on this bill with heart and compassion and all the amendments it has taken us to get this far. And third, I wanna thank the city employees that work to connect Denver's unhoused residents to resources every day and do so much to support our residents. This is probably the hardest decision I've had to make on this dais thus far. The city has been working so hard and put an unprecedented amount of support and compassion forward over the last months to support people experiencing homelessness in our city. I have heard terrible things about these sweeps from a person being thrown into the trash while inside their tent and several people dying while in their tents. The bottom line is tents don't save lives. Shelter saves lives and housing saves lives. The residents of District 7 are extremely compassionate people from neighbors who rather not report a person camping in their alleyway to small business owners who, who provide mutual aid and actually allow people to stay in their stores overnight. But we need to rethink the way we're looking at compassion. Just this past week, I was contacted by a representative of Excel Energy. You see through the west side, we have transmission easements throughout our neighborhoods. And there are no homes allowed in these areas due to these easements. A person experiencing homelessness decided to make one of these areas their home and park their RV there. Out of the kindness and compassion, it wasn't reported for any, to anyone for months. When it was finally reported and someone went to, to talk to the individual living there, the, first, the person was found dead, potentially frozen to death. Turning a blind eye and allowing people to camp out in freezing weather is not a solution. In my eyes, it is not compassion. The part that I don't think we're talking about with this ordinance is that it could potentially push law, to use, law enforcement to use criminal charges such as trespass 
which is criminal, instead of a camping ban, which the enforcement is only cite <coughs> citation. My other concern is pushing off unnecessary sweep. Encampments also serve as a safe haven for illegal and dangerous activities such as human trafficking, which is a growing concern. Getting access to that encampment one or two or seven days later could lead to one more day of human trafficking victim being abused, and that could even be a child. Or someone finally taking that lethal dose of whatever substance they're using to protect them from the cold. Yes, emergency access will be allowable, but once that assault is happening, that fire has already started, or that lethal dose is taken, it's too late. I would support this bill in conditions when we are not able to provide a better shelter than the current shelter taking place. I have known officers to go as far as to rent hotel rooms for people during these extreme conditions. The real issue here is the terrible things that happen during sweeps. We need to ensure we are caring for our most vulnerable during extreme weather, ensuring that they can reconnect with their belongings and not asking them to move up the street, but providing them transportation and warm shelter because their lives depend on it. Tents don't save lives. I have seen the administration's efforts improve, going from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shelter to having them open 24 hours. I would look, like to focus on working together on setting a standard for what happens in extreme weather events. That's extreme heat and extreme cold, which are going to come more and more often. Let's ask how we can do better about caring for each other and protecting our vulnerable neighborhoods and actually saving their lives and limbs. No one should die on the street because they were afraid to lose their tent. That's all I have to say. Thank you, Council President. Thank you, Councilman Hines. Uh, thank you, Council President. Um, I wanna agree with Councilmember Cashman and several colleagues. Uh, we all want the same thing. Uh, this isn't about the criminalization of homelessness. We all want people to get off the street and into homes. We just did it 1,135 times. And I think that, I believe that earns us a bit of grace in the system. Uh, this seems like legislation that addresses the policy of the, of the last mayor. Um, this, this mayor obviously has demonstrated a huge commitment to getting housing for people. The sweeps of the past move people from one block to the next, as we've heard and as I've seen many times. Uh, but now we've seen a mayor and city council who thinks that's the wrong approach. Uh, today's sweeps have been moving people into housing. In the last days, we've seen an approach that uh, sweeps away the old policies and gives our unhoused the cleanup place they need, a warm room with a roof and when useful supportive services. Um, I'm, as I mentioned before, I was disappointed to learn that the sponsors decided not to propose an amendment that would preserve our right of way. Um, just learned that there are alternative ordinances that could be used instead of uh, instead to preserve the right-of-way. So perhaps there are still ways to ensure we have compliance uh, with right-of-way and get people into homes. Uh, it would have been great to have enough time to research the ordinance and reconcile it with all parties. Uh, regarding uh, people with disabilities, uh, I obviously care about my community. Um, I very much want the disability community into housing. And uh, when I started here in uh, on council in 2019, and we all had 14 <coughs> beds, 14 beds across the metro area for people who, uses, who use wheelchairs to get around. Uh, we've made major strides uh, in addressing that, including accessible buses and making sure that there are um, access, accessible places for uh, our unhoused to use wheelchairs uh, without having to take a bus. Uh, so 
giving the uh, community the option, uh, the my community, the disability community, the option to get in, into housing is so important. As Councilmember Lewis said, let's take a pause. Let's take a breath. This again underscores that we want the same thing. Uh, let's take a pause with this legislation that we've shown uh, because we've shown this administration is a different one and this council is, a, is different too. Uh, let's take a pause while we celebrate 1,135 people off our streets. Uh, if we start to stumble in the next few months, absolutely, we should take another look. Uh, during that time, I wanna compliment all those cities, city employees who made the tough call to perform a cleanup or sweep and all those other city employees who were there in the cold with outreach to our unhoused and also helping people from their tents and into shelter. I believe that grace, pause, and breath we're all taking will further give those making the decision for sweeps strong guidance. Uh, but that should there be a situation where 31 degrees or 33 degrees, or 20 degrees or 110 degrees uh, is out there, uh, having that authority uh, be in um, the human uh, realm, uh, I believe is better than having it be in uh, one number in ordinance. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, I just wanna offer um, my comments, but first my thanks. Um, I was um, uh, proud to be a co-sponsor on this, co-sponsor on this with Councilman Cashman, Councilwoman Lewis and Councilwoman Parity. Um, I do wanna say that um, we're talking about the handful of days, especially under the new amendment, um, where we're talking about moving encampments only when the temperature is 32 degrees or lower, um, only during that period of time. And so um, it, I know in my district, and we have a several encampments in my district, um, uh, several that don't get responded to for a long period of time. So we're already delaying, we're already waiting. Like nothing changes ex extensively under this bill. Um, and so I am proud to support it. I do think it makes sense. Um, every, uh, every life that's lost on the street is um, absolutely heartbreaking. And yet we are told by the advocates that work directly with those individuals um, that see them every day, that are friends with those, uh, those residents of this city, um, that they are still safer in that tent for that night until they can move somewhere warmer. And um, I believe that, and I believe the doctors and the nurses who have come here um, to tell us exactly that as well. So um, I will be supporting this tonight. Um, and Councilwoman Lewis, did you have one last thing to offer? Yeah, <clears throat> thank you so much, um, Madam President. I just wanted to say two things. When I referenced the pause, I was talking about the pause in the 32 degrees um, before we swept folks, um, not to pause um, and to wait for us to move this forward. In fact, we've paused quite a bit um, in, in, in getting to this um, thus far. I think <laughs> Councilman once it mentioned that it was eight weeks, um, and in fact, it's been longer. And each day that we pause and wait is another day in which we potentially expose folks unnecessarily, unnecessarily to the loss of life and the loss of limb. I also wanted to clarify um, for this, for my council members is we are not talking about leaving folks in tents when we have access to housing. That's not what we're saying. If folks have access to housing, we absolutely want to make sure they get housing. And, and I have shown you all um, as a member of this body that I am so committed to that as District 8 has opened our doors to get folks housed from District 10, from District 9, 
from folks all over, um, alongside with um, Councilwoman uh, Ramiro Campbell. Um, and so this will not put a pause on that. We want the mayor and his administration to continue to house 1,000, to house 2,000, to house 3,000 folks. Um, that's not what we're talking about. If we have access to housing, we want folks to be offered that housing. Um, and so I'm not asking you to pause. In fact, I'm asking you to move with urgency because there are people who are dying in our streets. Um, and I would not ask for anything other than that. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, Madam Secretary, roll call please on 23-1960. Lewis? Aye. Alvidras? Nay. Flynn? Nay. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? No. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Parody. Or I'm sorry, Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Nay. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? No. Watson? Nay. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Six nays, seven ayes. Seven ayes. Council Bill 23-1960 has passed. This concludes the items to be called out. Thank you everyone for being here. Um, I know this was an important bill. Um, all bills for introduction are ordered published. Council members, remember this is a consent or block vote and you'll need to vote aye. Councilman Watson, will you please put the proclamation and re resolutions for adoption and the bills on final consideration on the floor for final passage. I move that proclamations and resolutions be adopted and bills on final consideration be placed upon final consideration and do pass in a block vote for the following items, and these are all in a series of 24, 0087, Zero zero two seven zero zero two eight zero zero two nine zero zero. I'm sorry, two zero two zero. <laughs> Tripped you up there for a second. Uh, Council President or Mr. Watson, um, the last one is a series twenty three. Twenty three two zero two zero. Thank you, Councilmember. We got Alex. it. Thank you very much. It's been moved and seconded. Uh, Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Lewis. Aye. Alvitas? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 13 ayes. 13 ayes. Proclamations and resolutions have been adopted and the bills have been placed upon final consideration and do pass. Tonight there'll be a required public hearing for Council Bill 23-1716, changing the zoning classification for 4001 and 4021 North Fillmore Street in Elyria, Swansea. And a required hearing on Council Bill 23-1850, changing the zoning classification for 3051 Lawrence Street in Five Points. Anyone wishing to speak on either of these matters should go online to sign up during the recess of Council. There's no objections from the members of Council. We'll research, research <laughs> recess. 
until 5.30 before reconvening the regular meeting. Council will provide a half hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters, except for when scheduled for a legally required public hearing. The general public comment session begins at five. There is no unfinished business, no proclamations being read tonight. We have two public hearings. As a reminder, council members, please turn on your video during your vote. For those participating in person, when called upon, please come to the podium. On the monitor on the wall, you'll see your time counting down. For those participating virtually, when called upon, please wait until our host promotes you to speaker. Uh, when you're promoted, please accept this promotion. Turn on your camera if you have one and your microphone. All speakers should begin their remarks by telling council your name and city of residence. And if he feels comfortable doing so, your home address. If you have signed up to answer questions only, um, please note that you are available for questions of council. Speakers will have three minutes. There's no yielding of time. If translation is needed, you'll be given an additional three minutes for your comments to be interpreted. Speakers must stay on the topic of the hearing and direct your comments to council as a whole. Please refrain from profane or obscene speech and refrain from individual or personal attacks. Councilman Watson, will you please put Bill 23-1716 on the floor for final passage? I move that Council Bill 23-1716 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you, and that has been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for Council Bill 23-1716 is reopened. Um, I think we left off with questions from members of Council on 23-1716 and a reminder uh, council members can only ask questions during this period while the public hearing is open. Um, Councilman Watson, should I queue you up? Yeah. Okay, Councilman Watson. Council member, will you make sure your mic's on? Thank you, Council member. <laughs> you are the mic control. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Council President. I'd like to ask Rob, um, as well as I, I believe I see the owner as well as um, uh, the individual providing support uh, for the architect um, here. So I'm gonna have all two of you, do you mind coming up as well? Rob, can you uh, share with council any steps that have occurred since the delay of the public hearing? And then I'll ask specific questions of the owner and the architect as to what steps have been taken. Yes, sir. So to my involvement, I, I did speak with the mediator who I, I believe was um, uh, requested to meet with the applicant as well as some of the community organizations to facilitate that conversation. Um, since the last hearing, that, that was really my extent in the involvement um, uh, of, of what's gone on. I think we'd, um, uh, again, yeah, beyond that, I think the applicant can probably do a better job of summarizing the, uh, what's happened. And I kind of bumbled on that, Rob. Do you mind introducing yourself? Yes, of course. My name is Rob Haig, Senior City Planner with Community Planning and Development. Okay, and whoever wants to come up first, either the owner or the developer, I just want you to share uh, kind of the community process that occurred. It's only been two weeks since the postponement, but a lot has been done. So can you walk through um, that and, and share with council the steps that have been taken for engaging with community? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Uh, Cole Newcomer, owner of uh, 4001 and 4021 Fillmore. Um, after last city council meeting, we had, uh, had mediation with, with Allie from Find Solutions, uh, from um, Mr. Watson's uh, recommendation to speak with her 
So myself, Nick from our side, and Nola Miguel and Anna from GS Coalition all got on a uh, Zoom call and had a mediation or arbitration, kind of a, just a conversation about um, some concerns that they brought up in the last hearing and had a really good constructive conversation with them. Uh, a few things came to, to the surface that we can dig into and talk you know, in detail about. Um, but it was at the end, um, the takeaway, I've got the document here. Were you able to circulate the memo? Yes, the memo was circulated okay, to great. council. Um, so as, as you can see at, at the closing, um, you know, Anna no longer feels necessary to object to the request for rezoning, I think was, was the big takeaway from it. And uh, happy to get into any more details that anybody may have questions on, but it was a really good conversation and uh, the neighbors were, were heard and some concerns were, were brought to the surface um, and we're gonna have continued conversation throughout. I think the safety is a major um, component there with semis coming down that street, having more, more density there, how do we make it safe for the kiddos and what does that look like with a crosswalk and, and such. So um, due to the lack of time, we weren't able to fake out a lot of those uh, details, but you know, there's certainly some more conversation that we'll, they'll have uh, after this hearing. Uh, thank you so much. I, I don't have any additional questions. I think the information packet, which was uh, requested from my office, the mediation um, was requested from my office uh, to coordinate with the team. I think that information is, is listed. So Madam President, no additional questions. I don't see anyone else on the um, that spoke last uh, two weeks ago that was protesting. So I had some questions for them, but they're not here. So I, I turn it back over to you, Madam President. Okay, thank you. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, um, Madam President. Um, thank you so much for, for being back here again. Um, I, I'm just trying to understand, and it was a little difficult for me to hear what you were saying earlier, just so you know. So if I'm asking a question that of something you already answered, I apologize. Um, but can you tell us, I guess, what were the concerns that were raised by um, the GES coalition? Well, Anna and Nola, who it sounds like who you met with. Yeah, absolutely. Can you hear me better? Yeah. yeah. Um, parking was a major issue. Um, and, you know, the there's discussion of whether or not more parking is helpful for projects or less parking, you know, depending on which direction, you know, which side of the coin you want to take in that, that topic. So um, we're adhering to the um, city guidelines for parking. Uh, there is a, a four to one reduction for the 32 units. So eight, eight spaces there. And then, um, you know, we've got oversized uh, locker for bike storage and also hallways to to help encourage folks to have bike and use the pedestrian parkway. Um, we actually took into consideration a larger um, offset to the south to have larger sidewalks for um, pedestrian walks and, and bike lanes uh, through that area. But that was that was one major one was was parking. And I think that's a pretty common pretty common topic. Um, again, it's you know, there's arguments for both both directions. If it's one to one, does that encourage more parking? If it's less, does that reduce it? And uh, with some of the city initiatives to, to reduce parking and reduce uh, vehicles, you know, we feel like this is in alignment with what the, the city would like. Um, another one was displacement, dispersing the existing tenant that's in the existing house. Uh, single individual, I've had multiple conversations with them, and, you know, his um, friend and confidant, he had a small family there that didn't quite work out. So she ended up moving back to, with her family, with the kiddo and stuff. So just one single individual that's in that home currently on a month-to-month -month basis. And he understands that uh, 
that uh, the time will come where he'll, he'll need to find different housing and I'll help him in that process. I've got other rental properties I could put him into. Um, so displacement was, was a big thing. Um, was, take, was, sorry, I was just gonna ask real quick and thank you for going through all of this, but was there, was there an actual like written formal good neighbor agreement? Um, was there anything like that has been written down informal of like, these are the things we're going to agree to do or was this just like a verbal conversation? Uh, yes, there was. Uh, um, we were saying tit for tack in the uh, mediation, but there was a concern and then a resolution. And it was in you know, our instructions just to give a, a brief, brief summary. But there is there are detailed uh, documents from that that meeting and that discussion. And really, the takeaway was for Anna, the representative for GES, to take that back to the neighbors and give them an explanation of what the, the outcome was. Uh, so yes, that document does exist. And so is that then the expectation that the things that were agreed upon there will then be provided? Like, is there an actual like agreement that is signed by both parties? Or I don't know exactly how that works, but like that's what I would imagine an agreement is like everyone agrees to those terms. Is, has that happened? Uh, there's no signed document. Okay. Um, there is email trails of, of everybody agreeing and testing to it. Um, due to the lack of time, I think, you know, wedding, wedding signatures didn't happen, but um, I think there's a, a, an essence of a breathing document that, that suggests that Anna will take the, the res our responses to their concerns back to the neighbors. Um, and a lot of it is continued conversation, you know, I can sign off on a crosswalk or making the, the neighbor, the, the corner safer, but what does that look like? You know, January 30th of 2024, it was just tough to, to pencil that. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if I'm fully answering your question, but- No, I appreciate I, it. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you, uh, Madam President. I just wasn't clear. Are the neighbors opposed to the rezoning or are they in support of it? I wasn't, I, I wasn't sure if I was able to assess that from your um, share out. Can you summarize that position quickly? Uh, Anna's response is that she no longer objects that she's speaking for the neighborhood body. Okay, thank you. Are you good, Councilman? Oh yeah, I'm good, I'm sorry, thanks. Okay, no problem. Councilman Watson? And, and Council uh, President, thank you. I, I know that Councilwoman Gonzalez-Gutierrez didn't ask the question directly to me, but I at least wanted to share the mediation process with the city there is, an, there is an, an end document that's provided at the end of the mediation. The mediation continues. We had seven days. Um, I think the mediator, the city, um, the owner, architect, um, and um, uh, Global, uh, GS Coalition, um, they had about eight days of discussion. Um, they will continue those discussions, and the outcomes of those discussions will be in writing. Thank you, Thank you Madam President. Thank you. All right. Seeing no one else in queue. Public hearing is closed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, comments by members of council on Council Bill 23-1716. Councilman Watson. Thank you, Council President. Um, I think this is uh, a, a demonstration of um, the willingness of, of community to speak up and to be clear what their needs are and also for the developers and folks involved in the process 
to be willing to listen and to work collaboratively to an outcome that's, that supports everyone. Uh, two weeks ago, when the, this public hearing began, um, there m maybe was not a sense that this outcome was going to get there, that there was going to be some level of, of resolution. Um, one of the things that I have um, been rooted in, at least in this process, the individuals who are doing the development here began their communication with the District 9 office in January of 2023. Um, that's 12 months of outreach and of communication. I knew from that perspective that the individuals involved in this process, even if the community was saying at this point that the communication was not as clear, um, they weren't really sure of the outcomes, that these folks were willing to listen. So I appreciate um, the developer, the, their architect for working collaboratively. I appreciate GS Coalition for making it clear what they wanted. And I appreciate our mediation team um, for engaging very quickly, constructively, and coming to what I believe is a positive outcome for the neighborhood. Um, I'm asking my colleagues uh, to support. Thank you. Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, um, Madam President. And thank you again for um, taking the time to, to go back and speak with um, folks in the community about this. Um, unfortunately, I, I have continued to hear from GES Coalition that because you know there's nothing codified right now, that there still exists a lot of concerns. Um, and some of the things I think that you've raised, um, I, I'm, I'm going to have to not support this um, tonight because I wanna make sure that that there is something actually codified before um, going forward with the project and knowing for sure that the things that are agreed upon are going to happen. And um, thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Okay, seeing no one else in queue. Uh, Madam Secretary, roll call please on Bill 23-1716. Lewis? Nay. Alvidrez? Nay. Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Nay. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Three nays, 10 ayes. 10 ayes, Council Bill 23-1716 has passed. Thank you very much. Our next bill, Councilman Watson, will you please put Bill 23-1850 on the floor for final passage? I move that Council Bill 23-1850 be placed upon final consideration and do pass. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for Council Bill 1850 is open. May we have the staff report? Hi, Tony. Uh, yeah, good evening. Uh, sorry, let me get back to the, the first slide here. Um, so my name is Tony Lechuga. I am a senior planner with Community Planning and Development, and uh, I am here to um, explain our recommendation of approval for an applicant-driven rezoning at 3051 Lawrence Street. Um, so we're going to start by diving into what exactly the request is here. Um, so on its base, the request is to rezone the property from GRH3 with a UO3 overlay to GRX3 uh, 
Uh, and I'll dive into some specifics of what exactly those districts mean. But first, I want to note that this particular property uh, has a zone lot that is just north of 9,000 square feet, uh, which is uh, a fairly large lot by Denver standards. Um, currently on the lot is a two-story, 1,400 square foot single unit residential. So what we have currently is kind of a small residential building on a rather large lot. Um, so the current zoning, the GRH3, is an entirely residential district that allows for residential properties up to three stories in height. The use overlay three is worth talking about for a brief second. That is the historic um, use overlay. What that means exactly is that if a building that has that use overlay is considered a historic building, this use overlay actually gives them greater freedom to use a historic structure than they are afforded under a residential district. For example, they could use it as an artist studio, a B&B, uh, or an office space. It is not applicable to this site today because this structure is not a historic structure. So while the UO3 is there, it currently serves no purpose. Um, the requested zone district that they're going to is GRX3. What that is, is the same neighborhood context district, residential mixed use, and again, up to three stories. What residential mixed use means is that they could build a primarily residential structure, but they are allowed limited commercial uses on the first floor only. So it's sort of a light touch addition of commercial space. All right, let's talk a little bit about location and context quickly. Um, so this particular property that we're talking about is in Council District 9, represented by Council Member Watson. It's in the Five Points neighborhood along Denver's original street grid. And you can see here the existing zoning of the property. So you'll note along Lawrence, there is uh, a couple of blocks of this GRH3. Um, and they're sort of a, a border between higher intensity districts to the northwest, the IMX3 and then the IMX5. But then you'll notice if you go in the opposite direction, southeast, um, the GMU3 is a multi-unit district, also up to three stories. The RMU30, and this is where we get into a little bit of confusion between former Chapter 59 zoning and our Denver Zoning Code zoning, that MU actually stands for mixed use in the old code. So right across from this property is mixed use zoning. And what we have there is actually a bunch of uh, commercial uses. Um, but this sits along that strip of RH3 along Lawrence. In terms of existing land use uh, and context, you can see it's a single unit property in a sea of diverse land uses. There are other single unit properties, uh, but immediately next door, a two unit residential. On the other side of the alley, you can see some mixed use properties. And then like I said, across Lawrence, we get some of those, what are listed as office uses, but I think one of them is even like a, a, a bridal shop. So it would actually be commercial. Um, so diversity of uses in the area. This is a picture of the site. So you can see that uh, that little, you know, 1400 square foot, two story house, really cute, built in 1904. But then you can see the rest of the lot is actually mostly vacant uh, of, an, of an active use. Um, it's just open space along the lot and along this corner. Let's talk a little bit about process. So uh, in terms of process, we followed our standard protocols of sending the informational notice of the rezoning. Uh, to all applicable RNOs, all of you on council, uh, and any property owner within 200 feet. Um, that was sent back in September of 2023. Um, planning board had their hearing in November. 
Um, the Ludi Committee heard this back in December, and here we are at the end of January uh, for our City Council public hearing. In terms of planning board, um, they voted unanimously to recommend approval, noting that this site is particularly appropriate for this change. Um, and we'll get into, when we do the review criteria, why this site uh, is unique for this particular change. In terms of public comments, we've seen a few. Um, the RNO sent a letter of support, noting that they have been working with applicants since May of 2023, have met with them on and off again, held a vote, and provided a letter of support. Uh, accompanying that is a signed and executed good neighbor agreement uh, with the property owner. We have received four letters of opposition. Um, they largely note um, folks' opposition to uh, commercial being put on this street that is currently zoned for entirely residential uses. Um, we received eight letters of support. Each of them noted the good neighbor agreement and the negotiated outcomes of that as one of the primary reasons for their support. So now let's dive into the uh, meat of the presentation here. So um, for those in the room or online who aren't aware, um, we are mandated to base our approval or not on these five review criteria and whether the proposal meets them. So we'll start with the first one, which is consistency with adopted plans. And for this property, we have three, the two citywide plans and the Northeast Downtown Neighborhoods Plan. Starting with comprehensive plan 2040, this property uh, or this proposed rezoning meets a number of the stated goals, um, particularly for creating um, a greater mix of housing types and services for a diverse population and encouraging quality infill um, that is consistent with the surrounding neighborhood and offer, offers opportunities for increased development. Um, as I noted, this is a largely empty, the, the site is largely empty of development um, aside from that house. Let's move on to Blueprint Denver. Um, so in Blueprint Denver, we have these neighborhood context recommendations. And for this particular rezoning, it remains the same as what exists today, which is they are requesting a general urban uh, district. Um, you can see general urban provides a buffer between higher intensity urban center to the northwest um, and the lower intensity uh, urban context to the southeast. So that's appropriate. In terms of future place types, Blueprint Denver calls for this to be a high medium residential, primarily residential location. And it notes that this consists of a mix of low to medium scale multi-unit uh, residential buildings. Um, it does note that there should be neighborhood serving mixed use distributed throughout that type of district. Uh, it also recommends up to eight stories in height. There's specific language about residential collector streets within this context, and I'll note that it specifically says that along collector streets, it may include small retail nodes. So that's some of the language that points us towards saying a small retail node right here may be appropriate based on this particular plan. In terms of growth area strategies, um, this is considered all other areas of the city where we kind of see this small natural growth occurring. Nothing about this proposed rezoning uh, would necessarily change the outcomes of that. So let's dive into the small area plan, which has some more nuanced guidance for what we think this area should look like. Now, this area is noted as urban residential, which you can see is kind of that strip along the lines right there. What's noted in the plan is that it calls for higher density, primarily residential. The proposed rezoning would be primarily residential. Um, I am going to read a little bit from page 14 of the staff guide because I want to get some of the specific plan guidance language correct here. 
So it specifically says that urban residential neighborhoods are described as higher density, primarily residential, may include noteworthy number of complementary uses. So that would be beyond residential. This district would allow for that location at a specific point. This, again, seems applicable given the stated goal that the stated plan goal for the development of vacant land, including both large properties and interior neighborhood vacant lots. This is a large property where we could see a slight increase in development that is consistent with what's around it. The plan also recommends that in areas where moderate intensity development transitions to residential neighborhoods, so that would be that transition from higher intensity to the northwest to lower intensity to the southeast, we should allow for a moderate increase, a moderate and mixed scale of general shop front apartment and row house building forms and allow a mix of uses within the area and within buildings. It further goes on to say that we should allow a mix of land uses consisting primarily of residential uses with limited neighborhood serving commercial. So again, we see a lot of very specific language from the small area plan that points towards allowing at particular areas a small change. Notably, the neighborhood plan is significantly different than Blueprint Denver, which noted eight stories in height. This one recommends three. That's what exists there today, and it's exactly what the applicant is proposing in GRX3. We believe that this actually meets the next two criteria. It will necessarily result in the uniformity of district regulations. It will further public health, safety, and welfare. One, by implementing our plans. So we have two plans that call for this, both of which were adopted after the zoning was put in place. And our plans are adopted in order to further public health, safety, and welfare. But it would also achieve many of those goals for small infill development in areas close to transit where services are already in place. In terms of a justifying circumstance, the applicant noted significant change to the blocks to the northwest over the past 20 years, as well as investments in the RTD system in the area, of which this is close to two stops. We'd also note that there's small area plan guidance, which was adopted after the establishment of this zoning. So the zoning came first, and then the small area plan, which called for potential changes to that. And then finally, we see that this is consistent with the neighborhood context, the zone district purpose, and the intent statements as written in the Denver Zoning Code. And therefore, we recommend approval based on all the findings of the review criteria having been met. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Tony. We have five, more than five. I think I see 11 people signed up to speak. 12, thank you. If you're here in person after your name is called, please make your way up to the front bench. We will start with Bruce O'Donnell. Ready? Yes. Okay, thank you. Hi, Madam President and members of council. My name is Bruce O'Donnell, and I'm the owner's representative on this rezoning request. And we agree with the CPD staff report and the planning board who voted unanimously to recommend approval that the rezoning request to GRX3 meets the city's established criteria and should therefore be approved. 
In particular, the rezoning request is consistent with recommendations in both Blueprint Denver and the North, pardon me, <clears throat> Northeast Downtown Neighborhood Plan. And therefore, this rezoning is informed by and is in fact an implementation step of these plans, these adopted plans. Uh, as noted in the staff report, because we're rezoning from a three-story zone district into a three-story zone district, this isn't about a big density bump or anything like that. It's about allowing a, a modest introduction of some non-residential uses on this property. Um, we've had a robust and highly successful public outreach and community engagement process, working both with individual neighbors nearby and also with the Curtis Park Neighbors RNO. Uh, we've had multiple meetings and presentations with the RNO. This started in May of 2023, about three months before we filed our application, and we followed the RNO's guidance and processes uh, exactly in, in how they wanted us to do our community engagement. Uh, this effort has resulted in Curtis Park Neighbors RNO issuing a letter of support for this rezoning, uh, and also a good neighbor agreement and a protective covenant that reflect community input and place greater limitations on the use of the property than the zoning itself does. In addition to the RNO supporting the rezoning, we have eight letters of support from individual neighbors. And four of those eight are from properties on this block, uh, including the immediate next door neighbor and the directly across the street neighbor, uh, all issuing individual letters of support that are in your files. Because this rezoning request meets the city of Denver's criteria and is an imp implementation step of adopted plans, I request that Denver City Council vote yes on Council Bill CB23-1850, approving the rezoning of 3051 Lawrence Street from GRH3 to GRX3. Thankful, thank you for your thoughtful consideration and I'm available to answer any questions should you have any. Great, thank you very much. Our next speaker is Daniel Newman. Hi, my name is Danny Newman. I'm the property owner and applicant. I have been working with the community and have had multiple meetings about this rezone since May of 2023, well before filing our rezoning application in September of 2023. I've been listening to and responding to neighborhood input and future uses of this property. I've been primarily working with the Curtis Park neighbors RNO. These conversations and meetings have resulted in a fully signed and executed good neighbor agreement and a letter of support from Curtis Park neighbors. In addition to their letter of support, we've received an additional eight letters from individual neighbors, half from our block of Lawrence, including our directly abutting neighbor. I agree with CPD staff and the planning board that this rezoning request meets the city's criteria and should therefore be approved. I request that Denver City Council vote yes on Council Bill CB 23-1850, approving the rezoning of 3051 Lawrence Street from GRH3 to GRX3. Thank you very much and happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much. Our next speaker joining us on Zoom is Jesse Harris.
while we're waiting for Jesse to come into the panel, Ashley Albright. Come on, Ashley. Thank you, Council. I'm Ashley Albright. I moved to Curtis Park in District 9 in 2019, around the time I retired from the feds and subsequently joined the CPN Design Review Committee in January of 2023. The city has professed an interest in equity and rezoning and in retaining and developing housing. A denial of this application will do that. There has been no notice of this application to the CPN community at large prior to January of 2024. A blip was in the January 24 newsletter of an upcoming meeting about applicant. A small number of people received a notification 12-26-23 through some type of email notification, but not the entire community through its CPN, Google Group's internal and external notification system. CPN has advertised in its newsletters archived for years on curtispark.org that members who sign up for the CPN Google Group's email notices will receive all city agency notices, specifically including zoning. I have been subscribed to this group for one and a half years. I did not receive any notice. If people subscribe and receive nothing, they assume nothing is going on. Last week, I requested staff provide me the name of the person they have been notifying, and Mr. Lechuga identified the personal and work emails for Ryan Cox, who has been on and off this board for years. The staff notices to council reflect notices in September, October, and November to President Ryan Cox's personal and work email. Staff confirmed a letter of support from the new president that the board has been working in concert with the developer since May of 2023. There is only one internal CPN committee that handles application referrals for landmark zoning, et cetera, and that is the Design Review Committee. I have been a member of that committee since January of 2023. I have attended every meeting and there has been no scheduled rezoning applications coming into our committee by the chairman in 2023. CPN holds monthly meetings. I have been to all meetings in the last 12 months. No zoning application has been discussed. CPN is a city registered RNO required by ordinance to represent the community as a whole, not just a developer. The lack of notification to the CPN community has been intentional. The community should not be penalized for intentional actions of its board, and it appears that it's violating the city's own RNO ordinance, not to mention the city's objectives in obtaining equity in rezoning and housing retention. This is a master class in how to defeat both, and it is occurring here. Imagine where else. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next uh, speaker joins us on Zoom, Joel Noble. I'm sorry, Joel, before we go to you, let me get Jesse in. He was before our previous speaker. Thank you. Jesse Paris, go ahead. Yes, uh, thank you, Council President. Yes, my name is Jessica Sean Paris, and I represent for Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, Positive Action Commitment for Social Change, as well as the Unity Party of Colorado, the Northeast Denver Residence Council, Frontline Black News, Chewbacca's Black Experience Enhanced, the Revolutionary Agenda, 
and I reside in Chantel Lewis's district, uh, District 8, at the Roach, Bedbug, and Mice-Infested Fusion Studios, owned by CCH. I was uh, against this uh, proposal tonight because the area in question is under rampant, if not utter, uh, persistent gentrification, ethnic cleansing that has been going on before the scandemic, plandemic, and before um, what we are going through right now. It's been going on for about 10, 15, 20 years now. Um, so I have a few questions. What is going to be the AMI level for the housing that is proposed with this rezoning to occur with this rezoning? Um, how many units are we talking about? Um, has there been a neighborhood uh, agreement signed, a community agreement signed? Um, because we don't need any more unintended consequences as a result of these rezonings that you have been passing for at least a decade now. Not this current council, but your predecessors and the like have been passing these rezonings. So I just don't want any more unintended consequences to come from these uh, rezonings. Because we had a housing crisis before COVID. We still have a housing crisis now, upwards of 80% of Americans are one or two paychecks away from being unhoused. And the people that predominantly uh, occupied this neighborhood for generations cannot afford to live there anymore. So we don't want any more of that going on in a historically black district of Five Points, Curtis Park, uh, the East Side, Northeast Denver, you name it. We're tired of it. And Johnson's not doing nothing to alleviate it. So council, you can for once <laughs> in the uh, once in a blue moon, like you did earlier, feel about ending this uh, housing suite. You can uh, do the right thing and not pass such proposals unless it's going to uh, alleviate our housing crisis and also maintain the cultural integrity of the neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker also joins us on Zoom, Joel Noble. Thank you, Joel. Good evening, Council. My name is Joel Noble, and I live in the Curtis Park neighborhood within the Five Points Statistical Neighborhood. Uh, our neighborhood plan, the Northeast Downtown Neighborhoods Plan, it has neighborhood plural in it for a reason. Uh, the Greater Five Points area is made up of many different neighborhoods, and a lot of time in the plan and developing the plan is spent on what happens at the edges, what happens as uh, Curtis Park feathers into the River North area. Uh, and this is one such area. I was very active in the neighborhood uh, during this planning process and uh, uh, can tell you that these blocks are exactly uh, that interface uh, described well in the plan on page 14 as having a mix of uses, predominantly residential, but a notable number, not just occasional, but a notable number of complementary uh, commercial uses. This rezoning to an RX district that allows multi-unit residential, but also introduces a small number of complementary uh, commercial uses on the ground floor uh, is a very appropriate for this type of district. 
I believe for all five criteria, it meets it meets the city's criteria, and I do hope you'll you'll vote for it for that reason. I've recently gotten involved in the community discussions about this, and would also like to say that I uh, compliment the applicant and his representative for working with the neighborhood. And because it's a transitional area, and by transitional I don't mean it's going away. I mean it is literally the transition between the core historic Curtis Park neighborhood and the River North area. Uh, talking about the reasonable concerns of neighbors, of external effects, and coming to agreement in a meeting of the minds uh, outside of zoning as to how those will be mitigated. Uh, in a, everything from excluding certain uses to hours of operation uh, limitations for things like any potential rooftop deck. So I'm very, uh, very happy with how that collaboration has worked. I'll also mention two things. Uh, first, thank you to CPD staff for having a slide specifically on uh, planning board's decision. Uh, I'd love to see that in every presentation to city council because planning board does spend a lot of time doing a hearing just like this and analyzing the criteria. And I think that deserves a slide of its own in these presentations. And then finally, I know the city and city council and CPD are talking about changing the practice to be uh, following up area plans with legislative rezonings. And effectively, that's what happened in Curtis Park between 2009 and 2011. It got kind of overlapped applying the zoning that was done with the citywide zoning code update and this area plan. And that's why we've seen so few individual rezonings be necessary in this area. Please support this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is also on Zoom, Danielle Simono. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Uh, my name my name is Danielle Simino, and I speak to you as a resident from District 9. I have been told over and over that you can't fight City Hall. I have been told that City Council vote is a rubber stamp at this point and that I'm wasting my time. But I don't believe that. I trust each of you take your role in this process seriously and that you have taken time to read all of the letters and consider each of the voices speaking up no matter when they arose. And so I thank you for this opportunity to express my concerns tonight. The city of Denver is in a most unusual time and circumstance. As you may be aware, we currently have countless vacant commercial properties in our city, many just one block over from this subject property. We are working through existing homelessness issues as well as migrant displacements. At face value, this zoning request appears to allow for more residences, but if you have reviewed the agreed upon good neighbors agreement and deed restrictions, you have seen that the intention behind this request actually removes existing permanent housing and instead adds temporary boutique style nightly lodging units. I ask each of you why at this time should the city of Denver even consider this? Why would we erode a neighborhood further and remove any existing permanent residential housing opportunities especially one that is currently zoned and offers expansion of said housing on the lot. Why would we increase any form of commercial zoning within the city of Denver unless it is proven as absolutely necessary or beneficial? In this case, it has not been. To change the zoning on this property now would indicate ignorance of what is taking place all around us. Capitalism works well with guardrails. Zoning is one such guardrail we should not be too quick to disregard. The pendulum of profit and development at the expense of another's welfare has gone a little too far. I believe it is time to take a step back and thoroughly evaluate what it is we are doing here. This particular rezoning request has caused me to ask some very basic questions. I ask, who is this benefiting? 
Is this benefiting one individual property owner, a particular developer? Who is it hurting? The immediate neighbors, the city of Denver as a whole, which needs to preserve and expand neighborhoods and housing. Each one of you council members as a yes vote will cause each of you to appear oblivious to the most visible issue facing this city today. I ask, why do we need this? Up to now, nobody has, has said. A quick search shows that nightly lodging units are in no short supply. If additional lodging really is justified, I ask why then can't they pursue this project on Larimer or Welton Streets where it is already allowed per the zoning? How is this helping the neighborhood at large? How is it helping the city? I have yet to come up to, with an answer. In summary, I conclude this zoning is not furthering the public health, safety, and welfare, nor are there any circumstances that justify it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I urge you to vote no against this request. Thank, Thank you. you very Thank you very much. Our next speaker also on Zoom is Kyle Flaming. Hi, uh, my name is Kyle Flaming. I'm a resident and owner at 3027 Lawrence Street since 1999. I am hoping you, you have all had a chance to read the letter I submitted regarding the rezoning of 3051. In 2010, Denver reworked and adopted new zoning for this entire area. It was a comprehensive zoning update designed to balance conservation and development and clearly drew a line between the commercial area, which is Rhino, and the residential, which is Curtis Park. This property sits in Curtis Park. These blocks along Lawrence Street were carefully considered with the pre-existing use properties, and it was decided that due to the heavier commercial load that buildings such as Epworth Church and Enterprise Center had on the immediate area, that the homes and lots where this proposed site sits were to be zoned to only allow permanent residential housing. An additional zoning restriction of U03 was also added to these blocks. This is an historic structure overlay, which was intended to encourage preservation and protection, not only of historic structures, but housing in general. In plain English, the zoning decisions for these blocks were unique and carefully considered based on the surroundings and were designed to preserve the residential homes and residential lots as part of our con contiguous neighborhood from exactly this type of commercial expansion. Denver needs more permanent housing for the people who live and work here. There are no circumstances whatsoever that justify this rezoning request. There are plenty of underutilized and not fully developed properties just one half block over on Larimer Street appropriately zoned for exactly what is proposed in this location. We have way too many Airbnbs, short-term lodging, and bars in this area. We don't need any more at the expense of housing. There is already a heavy commercial load from the pre-existing uses on the other side of Lawrence Street and more to come with the soon-to-be permanent closing and development of the 2900 block of Larimer, just one block over. I don't know why the Curtis Park Neighbors Board has turned its back on protecting the residents of Lawrence Street yet again in favor of more commercial development in contrast to how they would treat it if this property were in the interior of the neighborhood. This rezoning is clearly for the benefit of one developer and one property owner at the expense of one has been able to show how the proposed project will actually benefit our neighborhood and sur surrounding community one bit. It's not too late Please vote no on this rezoning request to stop the erosion of our residential neighborhood and preserve the current house and lots for future permanent stable housing, which Denver so desperately needs. Thank you for your consideration. 
Thank you very much. Our next speaker signed up in chambers, Stephen Bennett. Good evening, President Torres, members of the City Council. My name is Stephen Bennett, and I'm president of the Curtis Park Neighbors RNO for all of two weeks. Uh, last year, I was vice president of the RNO, and I began, began working with the applicants in the summertime on the Good Neighbor Agreement and the Protective Covenants. I found that the applicants have been very engaging with us throughout this whole process. Um, we had some current concerns as neighbors about the change of use from RX3 that what that would allow so we worked with them for months on disallowing majority of the uses such as a tattoo parlor a helicopter pad etc there was one provision we left in there in the protective covenant about potentially a ground floor public facing retail space such as a little bodega or a bread and butter um, the Applicants came to our board meeting in November after their 1115 planning board met, meeting and presented to our board. Curtis Park Neighbors does not hold a general meeting in December, and our January meeting is our annual meeting. We elect new board members, and otherwise it's a celebration. Therefore, we held a Zoom for the general neighborhood on 12 January. Notice of that was sent out on December 26. Prior to that meeting, we did hear concern from one neighbor about the differential in height between the two zoning, that there's a max of 35 and 45 feet, even though both are defined as three stories. So the board worked with the applicants on additional protective covenant and deed restriction on limiting those heights on Lawrence and in the back alley. Uh, on the 12th Zoom with neighbors, we heard concerns from residents about the potential commercial ground floor uses. Neighbors didn't want another bar, coffee shop, et cetera. So we went back to the applicants, reworked the agreements, and we removed any public facing retail spaces so that if they do open, have uses, it'll be further and guests internally. We've taken feedback from the neighbors throughout this whole process and worked and re renegotiated the protective covenant and deed restrictions. Additionally, initially it had a 10-year lifespan on the PC, and we went back to the applicants to ask for 20 years. We agreed on 15. We are comfortable that that gives the neighborhood some protection that should things change over the next 15 years and the property changes hands that another person will come in and redevelop it and utilize the full use of the RX3. Um, that's all I have to say. I encourage you to support this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker signed up in chambers, Kevin Bogart. Would you mind if I use this slide so I can speak to my neighborhood that I live in? Nope, go ahead and use it. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. No, sir. It. Go ahead and speak. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. um, my name is Kevin Bogart. Um, I, uh, I live at 1227 31st Street, and I've lived in this neighborhood for 14 years. I'm your neighbor. I live right across the street from you. Nice to meet you. Never met you before. Never met you either. I come here today to represent my about four neighbors. There are five of us who live in a row home immediately catty corner to the property that's asking for rezoning. I, like the previous neighbor who spoke, found first out about this rezoning request on 1226 a month and a half after the zoning board heard about it. I wish I was not coming before you today. I would have loved to have spoken to the citizen volunteers who look at zoning requests so that I could speak for me and my neighbors. I live in a residential property that happens to be on the 
other side of the alley. My property is zoned mixed use, but my home and the five others were built in 1910. We have five different property owners who own those properties. The ability for me and my five neighbors to redevelop our properties, it would be difficult to impossible. So we are a residential property that is surrounded on three sides by mixed use development. The applicant seeks to add a fourth side. We and my four neighbors who wrote letters, I do not know how they say they only had four letters in opposition because we've heard four people in opposition and my four neighbors who also are in opposition. That's a minimum of eight neighbors. I live immediately across the street. I would have loved to have been involved in these conversations earlier so that I could have spoken up about not wanting to be surrounded by mixed use, to be an uphouse, to use a Disney kind of idea. The other thing that the applicant is not speaking to today, and multiple of the people in opposition have spoke to, their goal is to turn this into short-term rental housing. The comprehensive fan 2040 uh, that is, was discussed earlier points out that the main goals of that plan are to create housing, to create housing. Rezoning this property, which is currently zoned as residential, and turning it into a five to six bedroom inn, which is the goal that they did not talk about tonight, and they were hiding that from you as a city council, would make no sense and goes absolutely against the comprehensive plan that is laid out and the city has already agreed to. This talks about strong and authentic neighborhoods. This talks about equitable, affordable, and inclusive housing for residents. I have lived across the street from this neighbor for four years. I have never met him. He does not live in District 9, he lives in District 7. He talked at the zoning meeting how he lives at 6th in Pennsylvania. I have not had a neighbor across the street from me for the entire time that he has owned this property. In 2020, this became a problem when there was a uh, homeless encampment that grew on the lawn that he is in charge of. Um, I do not want six, a six-bedroom inn across the street from my house without a resident on site to monitor that. Me and my neighbors, imagine having a Thank you very six much. bedroom. That's your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Our next speaker joins us on Zoom, Anna Varela. Hi there, good evening. Um, a bit of a complicated situation here, but I would like to speak um, in general. I actually wanted to sign up to speak for the previous public hearing, but I believe my comments are relevant to this public hearing as well. The issue, of course, is that I was not able to speak um, to my charge to the previous rezoning. Um, I'm not sure why I wasn't called on or unable to answer uh, my council members um, in, in person. So for the future, I just want to say I will make sure to be there in person with you all, and I appreciate you all for your time. On this note, I think that this discussion for the public hearing 23-1850 is also relevant to what I have been saying, and that is community involvement is so important. We have people here that are speaking on behalf of their neighbors, and I know that in this area, particularly for this rezone, um, development is also rampant and ongoing. It is so very important to make sure that enough community outreach is being done by these developers so that they can at least provide the evidence that this developer is claiming to provide. The developer for the previous rezoning discussion could not even do that, misquoted the represented documentation from the, um, the mediator, and did not give me an opportunity to um, speak on behalf of the RNO, not on behalf of the neighborhood as I was quoted, but again on behalf of the RNO as was my charge. So Anna, please consider, please Anna, consider the community here. Um, and I am so sorry for the errors that might have happened with the virtual comment. Thank you so did much. I have a, thank you. Okay. 
Um, our next speaker joins us on Zoom, Eileen Feldman. Yes, hello. Um, thank you for letting me speak today. My name is Eileen Feldman. I have lived in Five Points neighborhood, specifically both on Lawrence Street and Arapahoe Street for 44 years. I am, will put forth first what my request is. I'm requesting that city council only considers two choices. One is either that this is flat out denied, or the only other choice would be to send this rezoning request back several months back to Ludi to allow for commun full community participation. I used to serve on the Curtis Park Board. I don't anymore. I have re repeatedly requested, even as recently as this summer, um, asking who was then the board, the, the board president, are there, is there anything going on in Lawrence Street? They always knew I was very concerned about any rezoning or planning request. I was always told no. This never went out to the community. Um, in this particular case, uh, and this is all addressed in letters, so I hope you guys did have a chance to read them. This um, is already zoned RH3. He can build housing there. He can build townhomes, single family homes, um, row homes. What this developer wants to do is put in a small hotel, a small, more like turnkey Airbnb kind of inn. This does. This is a net loss of housing. This is not providing housing. Lawrence Street is the most western, northwesterly residential street within five points the, and it actually falls within the Curtis Park RNO. There was a reason Lawrence Street was not added to among among other re reasons was not added to this historic um, part of the neighborhood. One was it was on the opposite side or on the other side of uh, Denver Housing Authority but also it allowed almost full nine blocks of single fam for the most part, single family homes, small residential lots for people to either be permanent residents as renters or homeowners. And people had the freedom and still have the freedom to redesign, rebuild, remodel, or scrape and rebuild along Lawrence Street to their personal aesthetic. Um, the fact that Larimer Street is one on the other side of the alley doesn't mean it's okay to cannibalize the only last fully, almost fully intact residential block because um, a property owner wants to be able to turn this into a commercial venue. Thank you very much. That's your three minutes. Our next speaker joining us in chambers is Keith Pryor. Good evening, President, members of chamber, thank you so much for your time. So if you're not familiar with Curtis Park, please, I'll be happy to give you a tour. And if you're not familiar with Lawrence, I would be happy to give you a tour. As you walk down this from Broadway all the way to Downing, there is probably over 30% of these properties that are currently mixed use, if not more. It is a mixed use community on Lawrence as it is on Larimer. And that's why in the Northeast near area plan for the Northeast neighborhoods, we considered this to be an edge in a transition into the historic district of Curtis Park. 
we recognize that directly across the street is the Epworth Church, which is a historic church. It is now three boutique different individual businesses. You have the Enterprise Center, which was at one point an incubator for new businesses, and now it's a co-working space directly across the street. You have the Laundry on Lawrence. You have the Volunteers of America. They have their salvation. They have their food piece that has been sold to Eden's, but they were there. They started there. That was their original historic standing point, which was on Lawrence and Larimer. So this whole corridor is, in essence, what Curtis Park was. It was a walkable neighborhood. Again, health, safety. We want to be able to walk. We want to be able to have active uses that make places safe and enjoyable for the neighbors in the transition between the residential area into the commercial core, which has become Larimer. So this meets Blueprint Denver's. This meets overall the Northeast Denver area plan. Housing is a consideration. Go to the 38th and Blake Street area plan for that um, transit station. Have you been down there? Have you seen edit? Have you seen the 13 to 15 to 18 story high rises? We are providing housing. We are a mixed use. We are welcoming density. This is what our vision for our neighborhood is. This is why we had the plan that guided this. And we're actually seeing that envision become a reality. And we've been fully supportive of that from day one and have been engaged with the city of Denver in making these plans and really seeing these plans come to revitalization to see our neighborhood become what it is that we want. This particular applicant has been above and beyond any other applicant that I've actually seen. He's been very responsive to actually to the board and the neighbors and what their concerns were. He reduced the height from 45 down to 40 because of the zone change and the added height from the uh, residential to the commercial. He's restricted what uses have been. This has been a really good developer and a really good applicant to actually work with the neighbor. I could only ask that this person be replicated for other neighborhoods so that they get such a good engagement with them as an applicant. So I really do encourage you and ask you to vote for this and support this tonight. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Um, that concludes our speakers. Are there questions from members of council on Bill 1850? Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Council President. Uh, I have a, a few questions. Um, first, who's representing the Registered Neighborhood Organization, Curtis Park? Stephen, do you mind coming forward? You shared a little bit of this, but I want you to go into details. Number one, on the, and, and, and one point of clarification, the, the city site still has Ryan Cox as the contact. Um, I, I, it, I think it's important that the RNO um, does that update, and I'm certain that you're planning on doing that. I reached out to, um, I believe her name is Alexandra Foster, uh, late last week or early this week, and provide her with, or I think it was last week, and provide her with my contact info. I believe it takes some time for that. I checked the okay. database today, and, and Ryan Cox's name is still on there. Okay. And I know you've been in the, the role for three weeks, so that's not my first question. So my question is, Describe for me and for folks who are listening what the communication process was for your discussions began in May. Correct. Um, what was that communication process within your committees, within the neighborhood? Um, describe it, and I'll also ask from community planning development to kind of describe 
what that communication was. Sure. So I was not involved in the first communication with the applicants. Uh, Mr. Pryor and Ryan Cox, our previous president were, that started in May. I became engaged with them sometime during the summer. The communications uh, all throughout 23 were internally between, so the three of us until they came to the board meeting in November. So it is true that we did not reach out to neighbors during that time. Okay. I will state that the planning board signed, is Mr. Lechuga still here? I don't know when that sign was posted. The meeting was on November 15th and we received zero comments or concerns, zero neighbors um, in that area ever reached out to us or the board or anyone in, on the board and the committee with concerns about that project. Um, Tony, do you mind um, answering that question then? On behalf of the city and your city zoning process, what was your communication? What's your, um, what are you tasked with doing? How broad is that communication uh, to ensure we're getting community input? Yeah, so we follow the same city mandated process for all of our rezonings. So at the time that a rezoning application is deemed complete, um, our operations staff pulls the contact information that we have received from all RNOs. Uh, they pull the contact information for all of council and they pull contact information to see who is every resident within 200 feet of this particular property. And then those people are notified at the time that the application is deemed complete. Um, those people are again notified before planning board. And then those same people are again notified before council hears it tonight. Uh, in addition to that, there are two times throughout the entire process where we mandate that the property owner uh, print signs. Um, there are specifications for the size and location of those signs. Uh, we create them to ensure that the information is correct on them. Um, so those signs are placed adjacent to the property uh, at least 15 days before the planning board hearing and at least 21 days prior to this hearing. Um, so we have the, the email notifications, we have the mailed postcards, and we have the, the signs that are required to be placed. Uh, and all of that was done during this rezoning, uh, following the same legal mandate as every other rezoning. And Danny and Bob, you mind coming up? Um, share with us the, so Tony just described <coughs> the requirement for you as the owner, as far as placing signage. When was that placed? Um, during this process? Uh, we'll have to pull up the, do you have the exact Yeah, it doesn't have the exact. If you give me the month. Yeah, uh, so we're the, um, uh, the, the signage was placed as soon as we got approval uh, to do it. So we get an email emailed PDF that we then get printed and then we, we put it on two, it's a corner lot. So we put them on both sides of the lot um, facing, uh, uh, facing the public um, per, the, per the guidelines. And uh, as mentioned, uh, postcards also go out to all of the neighbors. So that would have been in November. <coughs> so the first signs and postcards would have gone out uh, 15 days prior to the public hearing uh, for planning board. So those went out on October 31st. Okay. Um, and then the ones for this meeting um, would have had to have gone out by the 8th of January, 21 days prior to this hearing. Okay, thanks. Um, Stephen, another question. Can you... Uh, the, the, the one thing that is a, a little um, baffling for me on this process is that um, Curtis Park neighbors are extremely um, engaged. Your land use committee is kind of the, uh, at least in District 9, um, um, 
your committees are the, the ones that we actually um, lift up for you know, your engagement, all of the plans that we're describing from Blueprint, uh, Comprehensive, the Nair Northeast, the 38th and Blake overlay, um, they're filled with folks from Curtis Park. Um, there are very few plans in the Five Points area that Curtis Park neighbors are not leading the way in zoning. Can you describe the board process for engaging um, with your zoning committee when a zoning request comes up? What's the regular process? To the best of my knowledge, until now, we did not have a formal process for that, unlike some of the other committees that we have. And Mr. Prime is the, on the design review committee. Uh, that is something we are working on going forward. Uh, Joel Noble has recently Re rejoined the board, and that is something we're going to rectify in the future so this doesn't happen again, and we'll have a more formalized process about when to engage the com uh, community at large. So well, I think right now it's a delicate balance of when we didn't have a set process of when should we go from the board to the neighbor, or we did, and then unfortunately we didn't have a general answer. Correct, correct. And were the, the good neighbor agreement process um, who was involved in those discussions on the Good Neighbor Agreement? That was Mr. Pryor, Ryan Cox, the former president, and myself. Okay. All right. So the, just the, the three individuals for the Good Neighbor Agreement. Joel was not. Wait. Joel was sorry. Not. No, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Joel was not until recently. He was on the planning board last year and was, could not participate in our activities. So it was a small group of folks within the board that did the Good Neighbor Agreement. Correct. And when then was they the, came to the board in November, a, a week after the planning board. So there was a board meeting in November? I believe it was the, with the third Monday, I believe it was the 20th, yes. How many members are on the board? At the time, we have 12 now, I believe there, I have to go to the records, probably 11. Okay. And for the iterative, and, and I know normally in these, is these, um, um, questions, we stick to the five criteria, which I'm, which, which I'm sticking to, to that. We are also, as described, looking at equity and zoning as well. Um, so all of this is part of kind of the communication piece. Um, the iterative changes within the Good Neighbor Agreement, who participated in those? Was that the board? Was that a smaller group? And how was that communicated out kind of the iterative changes from the height um, leaning from the um, uh, Larimer to Lawrence to any uh, any changes that you made when it came to specific to use. Talk through who was involved in those okay. discussions. Sure, I'd be happy to. <clears throat> so this is the, we had changeover on the board. When yes, this all went and Stephen, I want to say, I, I understand. Yeah, You're new to so this. I'm trying to think of who was involved yep. because yep. initially it was the three of us. Correct. We elected eight new board members on January 15th. Correct. Um, Ryan Cox stepped down, he was term limited out. So as I mentioned before, we got feedback prior to the 112 Zoom meeting about the height. And the Zoom meeting included whom? That was the neighborhood at large. That was a neighborhood communication out to everyone on your email That's list. It's on the Google Announce group, correct. And when was that date? Uh, they went out on Google Announce on 1226, and I at believe it was posted on our Facebook group. And since that um, meeting, you did you receive feedback that was incorporated within your good neighbor agreement? I'm just trying to see how Correct. the community was engaged in your process, in your 
Good yes. neighbor agreement. So it was Ms. Feltman who spoke earlier on Zoom that brought to our attention the difference uh, of height differential in three stories. Yep. And it was a very valid point because we didn't realize that three stories and the RH3 is 30 feet and the, or 35 and then it goes to 45. So that worked on that was Ryan Cox, Mr. Pryor and Mr. Noble who spoke on Zoom earlier. And we actually, I was biking by the property and I noticed that it sloped and I reached out to the applicants and they did an elevation study to show that the alley to Lawrence is roughly eight or nine feet, something like that. So that's how they came up with the um, working on the height. So it's 45 feet in the alley, but on a topo scale would be different. And then they also measured the top of the parapets of the villages, which are catty corner from the property. And I believe the elevation is three feet higher on that. So the parapets of the village are higher than the 40 feet on the front of their proposed. And since they, we resolved that, we've heard, um, to the best of my knowledge, we've heard no complaints from neighbors about the height. It has not come up since we put that in the uh, D restricted. Thank you. So um, two more questions, Madam President. Um, Danny and Bob, do you, do you mind coming back up again? Thank you, Stephen. Um, so Danny, specific to, and our discussions often, once again, it's actually on whether your zoning request, um, um, this is a quasi-judicial um, situation that we are sitting in. I'm, um, my discussion and my decision is based on whether you meet the five criteria or, and, and any of the, uh, the other plans uh, that intersect within this development or this request for zoning change. Um, but there is a d discussion piece concerning the use um, that has come up as to what this zoning request is for. Um, can you share a little bit as to um, uh, uh, what that use yeah, is? Absolutely, and definitely, uh, I think it was included in all of our yep. stuff that we presented. Uh, we are looking to do like a four to six unit uh, little boutique in type concept. Okay. Yeah. And then the commercial use, the uses that you are, the, the, the in-house use, mm -hmm. what are some of those uses that are still permitted? Uh, so the one, the, the main one that we are uh, keeping in is um, is uh, uh, basically a drink, eating and drinking establishment, um, just to keep uh, the ability to have room service, uh, bar service within the, uh, the, the um, building. The uh, residence within. For, for guests only. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, and Tony, last question. Um, for the, the the your review and and the community planning um, um, review of whether this meets the five criteria this actual use for what Danny just described explain how once we're moving from a residential to this use I understand that it's the the consideration is the transition from um, more mixed use into residential. Can you repeat again why this use of the almost four or five, six um, 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 guest suites um, matches kind of where that kind of um, mashing of your residential zoning, your mixed use zoning that surrounds this? I walk by, run by, I know this side, forward and backwards. Explain to, to, to folks who may not be aware of where this is at, um, once again, how does that mesh? So I think I can, 
both answer and unfortunately not answer your question to some extent. Um, so as outlined in the presentation, we're, we're legally mandated as staff yep. um, to review the five criteria. Uh, and nowhere in those criteria is an evaluation of a single use, nor a proposed development concept. And so we are mandated to look at the district as a whole, uh, blind of what any particular person might want to build there. And I think that that is an important concept for uh, removing discretionary evaluation of the process. Um, it also factors into considerations that um, circumstances may change and this property owner may need to sell the property a week from now <coughs> and whoever buys it will be inheriting a set of rules that we have dictated are appropriate for that type of zone district. So when we look at this, we look at what types of uses are allowed in an RX district, uh, match those sort of against what the plan guidance says about uh, small neighborhood facing commercial uses. Yeah. Um, the RX district does limit those commercial uses to the bottom floor and then requires everything above that be a residential use. And so when we look at that through a blind consideration of any one particular property owner's desire for their property, um, we see that as meeting plan guidance in its entirety. Yeah. And, and Tony, I was a little bit out of bounds of my, my question. I, 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 as you can see, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of information around this. And so I kind of strike my ask of that question of you, I should not have, um, and, and you presented clearly your rationale. Madam President, I, I don't, didn't have any additional questions. Thank you very much. Councilman Cashman. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, Tony, the, the, the postcards that get sent out, um, everybody within 200 feet, do they go to property owners or the address? They, um, they are listed, it's a good question, and one that I, I might have to come back to answer because our, our operations team pulls those, but I have seen the spreadsheet that they pull and it includes both names and addresses of the property owners. So I imagine that they are addressed to individual property owners and sent to those particular addresses. Okay, thank you. Mr. Bogart? Are you a renter or a property owner? I am, yeah. Are you a renter or a Oh, I'm an owner, owner. pardon me. You're and an I owner. speak up on behalf of all five of the owners who- Yeah, the uh, so are you, did you receive a postcard at any time? I didn't note it. I don't tend to use my mail as a primary for anything nowadays. So it seems to be an antiquated way to notify residents. I found out right. from my Curse Park neighbors. So that's how I found out. Okay, so, thank you. Appreciate thank you for asking, that. sir. Mr. Bennett, you, you are yes, the sir. recent president Two, of, two weeks, sir. I was vice Park. president last year, yes. Now, do I understand that Ms. Albright is on a design committee that is part of the RNO of which you're president? I believe so. Okay. I'm trying to figure out. It, it's appearing to me that this, well, I have respect for the individuals involved, that the decisions and uh, the negotiations with the applicant were made by a, a very small number of people. And that, you know, without knowing how many people you have on your Facebook group or your uh, mailing list or how many hits you get on your Facebook group, uh, it, it, I'm, 
I'm not getting the vision that there are a whole heck of a lot of folks involved in this. Can you speak to that at all? That is an accurate statement as far as the initial um, negotiation with the applicants in May through November of last year. It was primarily three of us. I will say that is another area of that the board is working on this year is reviewing the um, process for the design review committee. Mm -hmm. Primarily, this did not come through it. The and Mr. Pryor can probably speak to this as well. The design review committee is primarily involved with um, issues in the historic district and okay. those that go before landmark. Sure. Their primary focus. So this was zoning and it did not go through that. But I don't know that we have a formal process. So do you have monthly general meetings? Yes, We're, except okay. for July and December. So how many people on average show up at your meetings? I'm wondering since this went public from the group of you that negotiated with the applicant, how many people were at a meeting that got a presentation about this? The, our annual meeting, which was on the 11th, 90 showed up. This business was not discussed. On the Zoom, there were probably about 12 people, including two that spoke on Zoom to the opposition, and then at our board meeting on the 15th, we had four neighbors come and speak in so opposition as well. there was a meeting of 90 people, but this didn't come up. That's correct, yes. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, let me see here. Uh, oh, um, and Mr. Pryor made a, made a comment, I guess this is for, for Tony, um, that, uh, and I don't know Lawrence Street in this area as well as I would like to. Would you, is his estimate of 30% mixed use along the corridor from, I think you said Broadway North, is that true, Mr. You can, you can nod, thank you. Um, any, any clue if that statistic is in the ballpark? I, I have no idea. I've never uh, taken a look at the map to calculate okay. from Broadway to Downing. Okay, you know, I have no problem with the, with the veracity or um, honor and credibility of anybody who's spoken tonight. Um, it just points out to me, and I forget who said it, taking important issues and making the sole contact an RNO or going through the mail in 2024 is ludicrous to me. And uh, I this is not a you, Tony. You're a fine American. I'm just okay. the base of the organization, yes. <laughs> nothing, nothing but love for you, Tony. Yeah. But, I, I that those, are, those are legally mandated. So we, we no, don't make I, those choices. People I totally just... understand that. And um, I've been pushing since the previous administration that there should be a landing page where I can go as Paul individual and give my address and be notified of anything taking place. I don't need to wake up out of my daily work or family stuff and I'm automatically notified that there, I'm just trying to figure out how Mr. Bogart could, could not have been aware, you know? So if, if you could, yeah, I, I if you could get back to me for the future on that question as to, and maybe Mr. Bogart, do you, do you know those postcard notifications to everybody within 200 feet, do they go to the address 200 feet away or do they go to the property owner? Um, they, 
Um, shall Nate Lucero is also here if you want to pitch to the CPD oh, attorney. Yeah. <laughs> I'll defer to Nate on this one while I look at the code. Thank you. I would have. I didn't see you sitting there, Nate. Thank you. Good evening, members of the council. Nate Lucero, assistant city attorney. And the question again, council member, is so we, we mail postcards to quote everybody within 200 feet of a rezoning location. And I'm trying to figure out if it goes to the actual address, a property owner address. So the requirement is that it goes to the property owner and it's a radius of 200 feet from the proposed rezoning. Okay. Um, I don't believe they email. I think it would be impossible to keep track of everybody's email, oh, yeah. but there, right. there might be some other suggestion that the yeah, city yeah, yeah. can work with if you want to. Yeah, no, my suggestion is that people be able to sign up and that with the magic of 2024 technology that as we do with so many other things, that, but that's way into comments. I apologize, Madam President. Um, that's all of my, so it goes to the property owner wherever they may be. Um, and I'd like to know if, if you get any kind of, if you get any kind of, I will call on you, Mr. Bennett. Thank you. Um, if you get any kind of ver verification, there's no return receipt or anything like that. From the postcards? Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew no. that. I just wanted to hear yeah, that. Thank you. Mr. Bennett, you had a comment? Thank you. Uh, in answer to your previous question, on average, our general meetings attract 25 to 35 residents. And on that Zoom, we have about <laughs> 10 to 12. Okay. Regarding the RNO, we had to renew our registration, the deadlines Thursday, Wednesday actually. And I noticed on the renewal, and this is an issue with, I believe the city and how it operates. There's, yep. and Ms. Albright referenced that the new renewals, sorry, the notices on board meetings were going to Ryan Cox, the previous yep. president. There's two line items for the president. There's two for the vice president. And there's a secondary who is our treasurer. I could not find any line item on our no registration, which would allow us to enter a general Curtis Park neighbors yeah. email address and then that would go to everyone so when there is board turnover we don't have this issue so yeah, that's a limitation of the system I these believe. gaps in notification are our, our fault as a city yeah um thank you that's all my questions madam thank you president. uh councilwoman sandoval <clears throat> thank you madam president several of my questions got um answered i guess i just have a couple questions for the the two residents who are opposing this so the madam, I can't remember your name, I'm so sorry, and you, sir. Um, you live, if I understand it correctly, you live on like a, a five-plex that looks like a red duplex in between Larimer and the alley of Lawrence. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. And so um, through this process, you're saying that you never got three notices like you never check your mail like they, five of my neighbors did not know of this notice so ma'am you name can you come up to the podium so in the mail you should have gotten three notices one when the application was ready with a email at with the um, landing page to find out more one when it went from planning board and one from here so it's a total of three um, postcards, average size, this size, with information on it. 
you didn't receive anything in the mail? I, I'm not a neighbor within 200 okay. feet, but I am on the design review committee, which is the only committee that has been hearing any kind of both Got historic, it. landmark, or zoning issues for years. They used to have a planning and zoning committee. They haven't had one for years. Um, there, I receive city notices from agencies, a lot of other agencies. I get them through our CPN Google Groups email from Landmark. I get them from Parks. I get them from our police district. I get them from liquor. So it certainly is possible to for the RNO to be signing up our Curtis Park neighbors Google groups so it blasts out to our entire community and that has not happened and Ryan Cox has been off and on that board for many years okay. so he would know that okay and then for the applicant Danny or um, your owner um, Bruce when you I, I see on the chain of title that you bought this like during COVID, right? Is, was that around 2020? Uh, 2019. 2019. And what is, what is currently happening with the structure? Do you just rent it or talk to me about the current house? You own, yeah. you own the side lot that's vacant and the house, right. correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, uh, did a, just did a kind of uh, lipstick remodel, uh, uh, paint, uh, stuff like that when we, when we first bought it. Uh, we w went through the process of designing uh, a dream house um, for the remainder of the lot. Um, then COVID happened and changed everything. Uh, my wife uh, remained in the house uh, while I moved back to our old house um, to keep her safe. She's immunocompromised, so she stayed there. Um, we, during that time, uh, when all the uh, uh, encampments came around, yeah. it was right around the time we found out we were pregnant and we were kind of deciding what to do with the, uh, you know, where, if we were going to move forward with this dream house or, or, uh, or uh, kind of figure it out. So we, uh, she, we moved her, moved her out um, uh, into a safer area. Uh, we maintained the lot. We were potentially going to sell it. We looked at and researched the kind of the blueprint um, and kind of uh, realized that we were in this kind of transition area and uh, made sense to uh, uh, hold on to it and go through this process. So when you, so right now, is it a long-term rental or is it empty? It's a long-term rental. It's a long-term rental that you've had. How long has that, um, your tenant been in there? Um, about six months. About six months, okay. And then when you were talking about um, looking at the blueprint of Denver, when we go down, when applicants go down this road of rezoning, oftentimes you have a pre-application with CPD. Mm -hmm. And then one of the steps um, really outlines to meet with the council person. Were you able to meet with the council person of District 9? We did. Um, and was that at the time of um, the transition or who was the council person at that time? Uh, Councilperson Watson was the okay. was the council person we met with. Um, uh, we first met with the with the uh, neighbors and and with uh, Curtis Park in June, at their at a board meeting, uh, prior to applying to anything. Uh, Mr. Watson uh, 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 gave us the uh, you know basic guidance that whatever the uh, RNO uh, decides is what he supports. Awesome. Okay, and then when you talk about the blueprint, Denver, 
How did you come, I'm always fascinated at how you got to RX zone district. Was that something that you hired a consultant to go to the RX or was that something that you sat down with CPD and you talked about considering all of the neighborhood plans and what you wanted to do? I'm a big nerd and love reading the zoning guide of all 1200 pages or whatever of it and was looking at potential options and looked at something that would give us a little bit of flexibility um, to do something super lightweight, not a full mixed use, not full commercial, something that maintains and keeps something, you know, exactly good, uh, you know, for the fabric of the neighborhood. And so looked at that and then reached out to Bruce, who is an expert on this sort of thing and uh, um, ran the idea by him. And that's when we kicked off the process. Got it. So one last question. How did you get to the good neighbor agreement? How did you get to 10 years? So that's an odd number. I've done lots of good neighbor agreements. And so um, the life cycle of a building, like there's data out there on how many um, life cycles of a building has that the owner has. And so 10 years, like I've been doing this work for almost 12 years. I have never seen 10 years in a good neighbor agreement. Talk to me about how you got to 10 years. Uh, so, so we settled on 15 is what okay. is in the good neighbor agreement. I've never done this before, the, the rezoning portion of it. Yep. We put 10 years in there. Um, it sounded like there was some feedback on longer term. And so we, we settled in the middle, but yeah, I don't know if there is. Okay. And for the RNO, can you talk to me about how you got to the um, 10 years of the um, deed restriction? I, I just, I, once again, I, yeah, I, the one that I have on online here, it says it's 10 years. And so I think that's the one that's signed. If, if it's wrong, correct me. Go ahead. The, is the 10 years in the, the it's, sorry, it is 15, but is that in the, the deed restriction and protective covenant or the GNA? I believe it's in the deed restriction. Okay, yes. I am not, I don't recall how we got started with 10 years. I believe, and Mr. Pryor may know, either he or Ryan asked for that when we first started working with them last summer. And then, the someone asked for additional time this came up in the january the back and forth with neighbors someone wanted it forever and we asked for 20 and we agreed on 15 so if, if that if the version you is the version you see signed is inaccurate we can submit a new one okay yeah. and then one last question for you um as you're doing your renewal um are you do you have a general <clears throat> so a lot of my registered neighborhood organizations who have um, zoning and platting organizations, they just have Highland United Neighbor, H-U-N-I, at um, landpcd at gmail.com. So whoever, and they have tons of people who have access to it, and then they create a Google group, and when things get sent out, um, some are better than the other. Can you talk to me about what your process is? Like, if I were to go to the city, find your um, registered neighborhood organization group, what email address is on there? So our treasurer is the one that did our renewal two weeks ago. Yep. I saw the copy of that and I did not see where there was a, a line for a, sorry, a general line item. Um, I'm happy to go revisit that. For We do have a CPN dashboard for Curtis Park neighbors 
you know, Curtis hyphen park neighbors uh, Google group that will go to all the board members, which just got updated since we did have new board members turnover and that is available in the times and then our website. But I'm not as far as the RNO notifications. I'm not certain about that. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I, uh, this might be CPD question, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but just curious, um, do you know if um, there was any consideration for the residents living in the DHA properties? Is there a, like, do you know what the percentage of people that live in 200 foot radius of the, um, that are DHA residents? that are near the property? Are there any um, in the villages? I think it's the villages at Curtis if, Park. If it's within 200 feet, then, then there would be. Um, I, I am not the person who sends okay. out the notifications or pulls the data. So I, I can't speak to specifics if about the, how many of those people there If are. there are other people see somebody nodding, is, does anyone know the? because directly across the street is the Enterprise Center and that takes up that entire block and that's going to exceed the 200 feet. The Villages itself does not start until 31st Street and this is, I'm sorry, um, it's one block away and so that 200 feet would not meet the Villages and then on the other side you have Epworth and then you have another private owner that's not the Villages that's on the other side. So no, the Villages would not been included because they're not within the 200 feet. And and I guess I would ask if there, I think there are, I think there's a couple properties. So if there is another one or there's one that is nearby, and the reason I'm asking this is I'm trying to understand as far as like outreach goes, were those folks included in the outreach? I mean, per our legal mandate, any property, any listed property owner within 200 feet would have been notified through the means that are outlined in the Denver zoning code. And, and I, I understand the, the, the skepticism and frustration that council has expressed about the current processes. I will say that our, our department is currently working on the advancing equity and rezoning project. And one of the big things we've been talking about as a staff is updating those, those mandates. But unfortunately in a process by process situation like this, um, like I, I am mandated to follow the guidance that is outlined in the, the legal documents that the council passes, such as the code, so. Thank you. And sir, did you have a response as well around the DHA properties? Oh, if you Sorry, could come we can't up hear to you the unless microphone. you're at the mic. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, I, I disagree with the neighbor. I actually live on the block, and I do think within 200, 200 feet that would include some of that housing. But as he said, it sounds like it's owners. So if you don't own the property, it's possible that you don't get it. The lawyer might be able to answer that yeah. question. But. Okay, thank you. And then. Um, I just wanted to make sure, because I know um, Ms. Albright, you spoke to this earlier. If you don't mind coming up, please. I just want to make sure I understood correctly um, that you said you are part of the plan review committee. I am on the design review committee, design. which, excuse me, I'm talking to her, thank you. I have been on the design review committee and I joined up through Keith Pryor in January of 2023. I have attended every meeting and there has been no meeting scheduled for anything having to do with zoning. There is no other com committee that has handled anything to do with planning and zoning for many, many years. I sat for some time and went back through archive newsletters that are on the CPN website going back even, even to 2018. I don't think there's ever been a committee um, 
a planning and zoning committee. At some point in time, it was decided that those tasks should be merged under the design review committee. I've spoken to others who were here long before me who have been on this board and have been in my position on the design review committee. And apparently somebody decided it was a good idea to merge all of those tasks uh, into one committee. Um, th there has been no hint of anything regarding this property until January, the first week of January, when we received our newsletter. Some people received an email on December 26th about there being an upcoming meeting. Uh, I was not one of them. And to my knowledge, the majority of the community did not receive that. So I don't even know what that special group of emails was, but I don't wanna to speak too long. No, thank you. You answered my second question okay. was about the email and had you received it and if, if it had went out to the larger, like kind of RNO group or it was to a specific subset, like maybe it was a different committee or something like that. Nothing has come to either the design review committee or through the overall Curtis Park neighbors last email to me or to many people that I know, and I receive them from many other city agencies. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President, that's all. Okay, thank you. Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. Um, Tony, I'm concerned about consistency with adopted plans here. And so can you walk me through what happens when Blueprint Denver and the adopted plan, which was adopted prior to Blueprint Denver conflict. So the reason I ask is because I'm, I'm looking at the staff report here, I'm on page 15, right? The 2011 Northeast Downtown Neighborhoods Plan says, um, allow a mix of land uses consisting primarily of residential uses with limited neighborhoods serving commercial, right? So I, I, I don't understand how um, I understand how this plan is in line with Blueprint Denver. Totally get it. I don't understand how it's in line with the neighborhood plan because it isn't. So I'm curious how, when we have ourselves in a situation, this is, I think, in my five years here, the first time I've ever seen this, um, where the neighborhood plan and Blueprint Denver are not in line with each other. And you guys have done a really good job of trying to make them in line with each other, but they're not in line with each other. So like when we have this conflict with Blueprint, who does the, does the small area plan, even if it was adopted prior to Blueprint, take precedence or does Blueprint take precedence? Yeah, this is, this is a good question. And I kind of want to answer in two parts. Okay. So I, I, I think on page, 14 of the staff report, it points directly towards Blueprint saying uh, residential collectors should be primarily residential, but may also include schools, civic uses, parks, small retail nodes, and other similar uses. And then the small area plan has very similar language um, that describes allowing for uh, moderate mixed scale building forms, a uh, use of building forms, and allow a mix of land uses um, with, that are primarily residential with limited commercial serving. And so we kind of see both of those as, as in line with each other. Um, the, the real conflict we saw with the plan guidance had to do with height. 
And Blueprint Denver does uh, have very specific language on page 66 that outlines how we should analyze rezonings. Um, and it lists things that it should be consistent with, like our Blueprint neighborhood contexts, generally our place types. Um, but it also does say that we should look to our small area plans for more refined guidance. And that is because Blueprint has this citywide view, whereas our small area plans uh, are, have honed in on particular areas and, and what should be there. Okay. So. so this is tough then for me because, you, uh, again, I'm on page 15, allow a mix of land uses consisting primarily of residential with limited neighborhoods serving commercial. So that's from page 20 of the Northeast Downtown Neighborhood Plan, page 15 of the staff report. Yeah. So I don't understand how if the small area plan takes precedence because it has additional specific guidance yeah. um, and it requires neighborhood serving commercial, this zone district that could potentially allow for commercial that is outside of neighborhood serving uses can be consistent with the adopted plan. Yeah, so I think uh, the biggest issue there is uh, the small area plan adopting language like a community serving use where our zoning code does not classify certain commercial uses as large scale or community facing. I think Wait, but I'm gonna push back on you on that just a little bit because our zoning code does, if you look at like the OSB zone district, right? It's zoned open space and community serving uses. So like we have a pickleball court going on an OSB zoned piece of land on the corner of Mississippi and Parker because it is a community serving use. So I disagree with you on that. There are places in our zoning code where community serving use is pretty specific and libraries, daycare centers, um, recreation centers, those are literally listed under the OSB as appropriate community serving uses. Um, within the use, are you referring to the use table mm -hmm. in the zoning code? Yeah. That those are particular community serving uses. Correct. Okay. So, so with this, with a small retail node is controlled by the RX district. RX districts only allow it on the bottom floor they limit the square footage that it can be. And so it directs it away from being a Kohl's and being towards something that is small, that is accessible to the community. And so I think that's the difference and in, in what that language is pointing towards. But this is saying neighborhood serving commercial, like a, a hotel is not neighborhood serving commercial. And so it's it, the RX zone district in this particular usage, I, I need an, I need you to explain to me how it allow it fits into allow the neighborhood plan requirements of neighborhood serving commercial because it's not residential. Well, it sounds what you're suggesting is that OSB, which is an open space. No, I was just giving that as an example of what the, the zoning code specifically lists community serving uses under the OSB zone district. So I was just giving yeah. that an example. Yeah, the so difficulty, my question here is specific. Yeah, so the difficulty here would be uh, Blueprint and the small area plan are pointing towards a particular neighborhood context. 
within that neighborhood context, we have limited options to choose from to determine appropriateness that aligns with the general language of our plan. And so if there is not a, um, if there is not a general urban district that has a, uh, a particular zone district that would limit the uses to only whatever neighborhood serving or community serving uses are, then we have to choose whatever district is closest to that. And, and that's where we have to make a choice in implementing our plans. Okay. And so if this applicant asks for this, we can compare it to what we have and say like, is this the closest we can find? Okay, thank you, I appreciate it. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Hi, um, my questions were actually answered. Great, thank you so thank much. You. Okay, um, let me see. Uh, no one else is in queue. Let me see if I had gotten all of mine answered. Um, I think I just had one for um, Stephen. The letter from the RNO, um, we just got it in January, but uh, Curtis Park neighbors support of the rezone. Was that a vote? Was that what kind of what was the yes so i wrote that letter last week okay um a board we actually so we had the board meeting on the 15th and that was the the leadership of the of no the no, no. <clears throat> so there was the public suit on the 12th we had our board meeting on the 15th when i was elected we had a bunch of other business we were discussed this project and we had four neighbors come and speak in opposition and that's when we got more feedback um, on the good neighbor agreement protective covenants so then we worked, went back and reworked it and we held a special board meeting via Zoom a week ago Monday. And the vote was 11 to one. The time we had 13 board members, although one of the board members has stepped off and then we had one absent, so. Yeah. Okay, and none of the, it sounds like none of the opposition from the earlier meeting were in that Zoom meeting. That or was they, the, the special it? board meeting we held last Monday. <clears throat> It was open to the public, although comments were not received. So some of the opposition were there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you yeah. for that. Um, just on the criteria differences between, uh, sorry, not criteria, but some of the zoning um, differences between RH and RX. Um, what I'm seeing is in in product, um, basically, you can't build the same building forms between the two. So. RH was single family home, um, maybe duplex. I'm looking for that grid right now. Single family home, uh, why don't we just duplex pull, and pull row house. And then this one is townhouse and shop front, right? Yeah. And even if it's like townhouse, I'm assuming does not have commercial, um, right? No, this property owner could choose either of those building forms and actually build 100% residential property if they want. Shopfront could as well, right? Yeah, they could build a completely residential property under these zoning. But in Shopfront, the whole thing could also be, I mean, does a, um, I don't know if this qualifies as like a bed and breakfast or um, a boutique hotel, like, is that what we're, what we're talking about with this? That qualifies as, as Shopfront for the entire building? If it depends on how they choose to, to build what they're building, um, okay. whether it fits into the townhouse or the shop front building form, but um, either way, the regulations of you know 
commercial on only the first floor apply. Um, and this is a distinction between the building form of how they build it and then how they use it commercially is yeah. an entirely different yeah. part of the city. Yeah. yeah. Um, question about um, historic status. Obviously the use overlay would come into play if it was landmarked. Mm -hmm. Did you Do you know if this is eligible for landmark? Yeah, so I actually consulted with our landmark staff when we first looked at this application when it came in and they noted uh, that it was built in 1904, so it's definitely an older property. Um, they suggested that they had no opposition to the rezoning moving forward, but if the applicant applied for a demolition permit, they would do their due diligence as they do with any property. And then there is a possibility that they would find that this is a, a landmark structure, okay. but they, they don't make that determination with, without uh, you know, a, a requirement of a demolition Right, being permit. asked to. Yeah. Absolutely. For the owner, um, had you had that come up at all for you? That question of landmarking it? Uh, no, we looked at it. We, we assumed that it was uh, not, but um, at this point, we also plan to plan to keep it. But uh, we, it's a giant extra. The empty lot is where where the where the new building will be. Oh, okay. So yeah. your intention was to keep this at the. That's the, the that's the hope. Place. I don't know what we'll find when we actually kind of get in there, but uh, that's the current uh, current uh, direction. But we, I haven't spent a ton of money on mm -hmm. actual going deep into architectural anything until we get through this whole process. Got it. Okay. Thank you for yeah. that. Uh, Councilwoman Alvitez. Thank you, Council President. I actually had some of the similar questions, um, but I have one more question for you, which is, um, are you open to continuing this conversation even with people that are opposed to what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been uh, following this whole process, you know, kind of uh, uh, to a T. I feel like we've we've been we've reached out very early, very often. We've incorporated everything into uh, the good neighbor agreement uh, that we've that we've been asked. We've you know kind of been been going. I think that the um, uh, uh, you know we've we've worked on external effects. We've worked on hours of operation. We've worked on all of the things that have come up through all of these different uh, um, uh, through the feedback process this whole time and happy to continue to do that. I do feel like we've got a very solid uh, good neighbor agreement um, and protective covenant that really covers a lot of this. Um, you know, it, it, this will absolutely be, you know, a, uh, a, a very, you know, kind of minimal uh, uh, impact uh, based on all of that. And it, it would have been prior to that, but it's good to get it all in paper, in writing, signed by both parties. I appreciate that. And I, I, that's all. Thank you. Um, I just want to say that I know how frustrating it is when you find out something in your neighborhood is changing so dramatically. And I think. Let's hold comments. Oh, sorry. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Hang on to them. Hang on to them. All right. Uh, that concludes our speakers um, and concludes questions. Public hearing is closed. Comments by members of council. We'll start with Councilman Watson. Thank you, Council President. Uh, I wanted to first um, be clear that it is, it's pretty obvious that there is an opportunity. I'm just trying to pull back up the, the, the deck, uh, make sure I have this in front of me. There is an opportunity within Curtis Park neighbors to have um, um, a broader communication process with their neighbors. Um, there are there is an opportunity within the current planning process 
as um, folks here from the planning process has described, to have a more robust um, communication tool, and that is in discussion. Every member of this council has been a part of that discussion as to what the future of communication to communities, reducing the bureaucratic steps you currently have, leveraging technology, all of those things are, are, are planned and will be in place um, in a time certain. And I know that the uh, planning uh, department is working on that. I know that Curtis Park neighborhoods um, have communicated today that they'll work on this. I, I wanted to center my comments on what's before us as um, um, land use commissioners and what our expectations within the zoning process is. Um, this uh, zoning process went through each of the iterative steps that they must by legal requirement, by ordinance. Um, the notifications of uh, folks within uh, the radius, that information went out three times required by ordinance, by requirement within code, um, neighbors were communicated. The things that we are tasked with um, that may be that that is frustrating to me at times and knowing that we're expanding what those things are, but we are, we are asked as council members to look at the criteria and to look at um, whether the zoning request before us um, meets um, the zoning criteria, the five criteria. Uh, I've reviewed each of these steps, um, looked through the process from when they, the applicant went to the planning um, and their approval, and now it's came before Ludi, and now it's here before us for the public hearing. We have five criteria that we review at this point. Um, community planning development has determined um, that they meet those five criteria. Uh, there is some complexity between the, the, the existing zoning and the change in zoning, but still the level of consistency within the plan, within blueprint, within the area plan, and within the neighborhood plan, um, those are consistent. Those are the things as a land use commissioner and as a city council member that I'm tasked um, um, to confront within these zoning codes. These zoning changes are these in this process. Um, this one, because of communication and, and because of things that are outside that informs our input, our, 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 our decision, but are outside of how I am supposed to sit here as in this quasi-judicial matter and vote on. Um, I see from the staff report and all the documents received um, that they meet the five criteria. I see from the input from neighbors that are adjacent to, that are next to, knowing that there are neighbors that spoke today, tonight, that are near, that said they are strongly opposed. I also, we also have received a notification from neighbors um, adjacent to the property, across from the property, that are in support. There's a good neighbor agreement that has been um, updated based on community input from a uh, community-wide Zoom call, as well as from uh, a response back with a community-wide open um, um, board meeting. 
Should more communication have occurred um, directly, broadly? Yes. But my decision has to be based on the criteria um, and also be informed by the Good Neighbor Agreement communicating community benefit. Um, for all those reasons, I will be voting uh, yes on the zoning change. And I ask my uh, council members to do the same. Thank you, Councilwoman Thank you. Sandoval. Thank you, Madam President. Um, Thank you to everyone who's showing up here tonight and sharing your opinion and sharing your lived experience. In my um, work as a council person and prior as a council aide, everyone has their truth. And so if for you, sir, mail's not the best form of communication, I'm sorry that the city fell short. Let me just say that. I think we really do, do our best as a council aide. I helped work on that amendment to the Denver Zoning Code because as a council aide to my predecessor, I sat at too many late night meetings here in our office, hearing neighbors battle against each other. So I really do take dear and near to my heart that 200, 200 foot rule and three mail notifications because what I had experienced was what's happening here this evening is all of the pressure gets put on a registered neighborhood organization that are filled with volunteers who love their neighborhoods and after rezonings like this, it makes them stop to think, should I even be doing this work? Should I be volunteering late at night and having these meetings and how do um, we do community outreach? Um, last Monday, we just passed a neighborhood planning initiative for four neighborhoods in my council district. And I will say that it started during COVID and was adopted last Monday and community outreach was really, really hard. I texted people, I got people's cell phone numbers, I mailed people, I did surveys, I put up yard signs and still out of those four neighborhoods, we had under 10% outreach. And so after this, I've studied planning. I go to conferences, I'm a nerd, I read up on everything and planning and outreach has changed since COVID. And so what do we do about that? It's not for us to solve tonight, but I just want you all to hear that I do think about this and I do take this issue on. And a lot of what we're doing right now is, our, my colleagues have talked about this um, equity and rezoning project that started like three years ago, I've been sitting on the task force because it's really hard work. What does it look like to have equity in rezoning? So that all of you here tonight feel like your voices were heard. It's a really deep, hard question in the criteria of our zoning code. So just want you to know that I take these issues super serious. As for the rezoning that's in front of us tonight, um, I remember over the past three and going into four years, almost five. This area of Curtis Park has direct conflict with Blueprint Denver and the Northeast Downtown Neighborhood Plan. I remember sitting here a year ago and looking at something down on the, on, down the street. Um, it's like not Northeast Southwest because it's off the grid, but closer to Broadway where the Blueprint Denver was in direct conflict with the Northeast Downtown Neighborhood Plan. And there was another rezoning during COVID when I was virtual, where I sat and read both plans. And I'll talk about that because I worked for Councilwoman Montero who represented this area 
and I started working for her in 2012 and the, near, the Northeast Downtown Neighborhood Plan was adopted the year prior. So it was a brand new um, plan when I started with the city in 2012. And then here comes Blueprint Denver and we have direct conflict. And so I've sat behind this dais and have had to really question um, the criteria and what we're looking at in this specific area of Curtis Park along Walnut, Lawrence and Lammer. It's really challenging area to get um, alignment with, with all of these neighborhood plans. So what I do is I go back to the general purpose of the GRX3 zone district. And the general purpose has A, B, C, and D. So it has four. So I'm gonna read the, the D. Compared to the mixed use district, the residential mixed use districts are primarily intended to accommodate residential uses. Commercial uses are secondary to the primary residential use of the district and provide neighborhood scaled shops and offices for residents to conveniently access goods and services within walking distance. Buildings in a residential mixed use district have commercial uses but upper stories are reserved exclusively for housing or lodging accommodation use, uses. A building can be solely residential or solely commercial. However, buildings containing only commercial uses are limited to a total gross floor area of 10,000 square feet consistent with the district purpose. And so for me tonight, I'll be voting in favor of that because of that A, B, C, and D and I really do believe that there is a conflict here. And I hope that one day we can mitigate that conflict so that I don't always have to go back to our zoning code and read these four general purposes because that's a lot of detailed nuance. But I really do believe that these general purposes, A, B, C, and D, and it's if you want to geek out, it's section 6.2.4.1 of the Denver Zoning Code. If you want to geek out with me, happy to have coffee and tell you how I interpret them. Um, those four general purposes align with the criteria that we are to vote on. But I do want to say on the record, this is I say on the record every single time there's a zoning with the Northeast Downtown Neighborhood Plan and Blueprint Denver that there is some type of conflict. It happens oftentimes in Council District 9 and um, I'm happy to sit down and try to figure this out. And I don't think it's easy for you, Tony, to figure out which one has the higher priority. I think it all happens in inter interpretation and what is um, best for the use and for this area. And so with that, I do believe Lawrence are, um, it also says the residential mixed use zone districts are intended to promote safe, active and pedestrian scaled diverse areas through the use of building forms that clearly define and activate the public realm. And I have friends who live on Lawrence in this area and I feel like that intention meets directly up with the five criteria. So with that, I'll be voting this for this tonight, but thank you all. And I hope that the RNO, I hope that you figure out a robust um, mechanism on how to get out to your membership and if you do ping me because my RNO is needed too this has been something I've been thinking about for um, 12 years as I've worked at the city thank you Madam President thank you Councilman Flynn thank you Madam President uh, I have been looking at the uh, application and the presentation and the zoning code and blueprint and comp 2040 
and arrived at a different uh, conclusion. In fact, um, the uh, current zone district um, fits the criteria or fits is more consistent with the plans for this area than the proposed new district, which I do not find to be consistent uh, with the plans. It, the proposal to add, um, you know, which would add the shop front form, um, we're removing some residential. And yes, there can be residential, but the proposed use here is a bed and breakfast, which isn't residential. And nor do I believe that it is uh, neighborhood serving. Uh, it serves people from outside the neighborhood. I, I look at neighborhood serving commercial as, you know, a bodega or a restaurant or a coffee shop or a bookstore or something like that. Uh, it, this would, uh, when I saw the, uh, in the presentation, I'm flipping through here for Comp 2040, uh, Blueprint, Blueprint Comp. Oh, here we go. The four bullet points that were cited under uh, Comp 2040, all of them talk about increasing development of housing units close to transit, uh, create a greater mix of housing options, uh, equitable, affordable, strong and authentic neighborhoods, ensure neighborhoods offer a mix of housing types, uh, strong and authentic neighborhoods, uh, goal one, strategy D, encourage quality infill that's consistent with the surrounding neighborhood and offers opportunities for increased development. I don't see that the change to this new uh, recommended zone district as being consistent with that, nor with uh, Blueprint Denver's which is the later of the two plans, uh, the north, uh, Northeast Downtown Area Plan from 2011. Blueprint Denver is 2019. Uh, it is uh, not consistent in my view with the uh, neighborhood serving mixed use uh, and primarily residential. Uh, it's taking residential out of the picture rather than increasing it. Uh, so I don't believe I can support this. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Hi, thank you so much, um, Madam President. I just have a, a few comments um, about um, the criteria. Um, and then I just wanna thank folks in general for um, their comments and in, um, in this presentation. Um, so the first one is, I actually don't believe that it, it, it does comply with the comprehensive plan. Um, it also does not meet the blueprint goals because it comes at the cost of permanent housing, um, which, is, which is what it's currently zoned for. Um, which Councilman Flynn spoke to. Um, and it also does not advance health and safety because of the hazards of traffic in this area, um, specifically near the church, the preschool, and the affordable housing play, play, playgrounds. I'd also like to note um, that there's a lot of commercial on Larmer um, and future commercial at the Eden's development two blocks away on 27th and Lawrence. Um, and so in my humble opinion, I would say um, that this neighborhood has been burdened um, enough, and then we heard um, directly from a member of the Curtis Park RNO Zoning Committee saying that it did not go um, through them. And so, um, for these reasons and others, um, and from what I've heard today, I um, am not a supporter of this. Um, but I do appreciate the time that you all have put forward um, to bring us um, this before. Thank you very much, Councilwoman Sawyer. Thanks, Madam President. Um, I, I wanna just, I, I'm not supportive. I do not believe that this is consistent with adopted plans. Um, I do wanna say, I, I think this is a cool idea. Um, 
and I would love to support it, but it's not fair for me to sit up here and skirt around a concern about consistency with adopted plans and then tell another developer on another rezoning no because it's not consistent with adopted plans. We have to treat everyone equally in this job. Um, and so as much as I think this is a cool idea, it is not consistent with adopted plans. And so I will be a no tonight, but I wanna thank all of you for coming out. Um, it's kind of rare that we get such deep um, community engagement and such deep passionate feelings about um, you know, a very specific neighborhood. And it's really beautiful to see that. So I, I hope um, that you all can find a path forward that works for everyone I generally find that if everyone's mad, we're in the right spot. Um, so um, I hope that, you know, you are all clearly passionate about your neighborhood. Um, and I hope that you will be able to move on from this, even with disagreement um, over whether, um, you know, whether this rezoning should be approved or not. Um, because I think Denver needs you as a city to engage um, all of you. And, and we, we certainly never have enough volunteers or enough um, you know, time in the day or enough people who are willing um, to sit here for two hours and have this conversation. So I wanna just say thank you to all of you. Um, I will be a no tonight, but uh, really, really appreciate you all being here and us having this in-depth conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Alvidres. Thank you, Council President. Um, I love to hear my colleagues that have been doing this work for so long kind of explain things. It's, you know, a really hard topic when you're talking about something that's next door to you. Um, what Councilwoman Sandoval makes a lot of sense to me. I think this is a bad instance of engagement. I, and I'm, I'm going to support this and I'm asking you if it does pass, like please continue to engage with people that don't agree and that are um, maybe challenging you a little bit because that's part of change and part of creating new things. And I think that you have good intentions and there could be some housing supported in here somewhere. Um, so I hope to see that continue, that conversation continue. Um, that's all. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much. And seeing no one else in queue, um, I, this is a rare one, I think, where we've got some um, uh, cognitive split over plan guidance. And um, I think it's, um, it's incredibly moving um, to think through, I think, which direction this body may go. Um, one of the things that, um, apart from our criteria, um, our zoning process really does need to be open sourced. You really need to be able to opt in to what's happening in my neighborhood and you just notify everyone about that um, as opposed to it constantly being filtered through um, a single portal, right, um, in order for um, resident engagement to happen. I know it's easy to miss um, postcards. We struggle with engagement and we send people door to door, right? Um, so we, we try to do a lot of different things when it comes to um, engagement. I am disappointed, though, that it feels like some of the conversations and decisions were made before a full RNO agreed to engage in those conversations. And so um, I, I think that's something to definitely learn from. Um, I struggle with it going from RH to RX um, and tend to agree with Councilman Flynn about 
residential loss as opposed to uh, gain um, in, in, in that rezoning. Um, if you're losing a lot of the other things that, um, uh, that will offer that guaranteed. So I'll also be a no tonight. Um, and seeing no one else in queue, uh, Madam Secretary, uh, roll call please on Bill 23-1850. Lewis? No. Alavitris? Aye. Flynn? Nay. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Nay. Hines? Aye. Cashman? Nay. Parody? Nay. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Sawyer? No. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Nay. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. S six, uh, seven nays, six ayes. Six ayes. Council Bill 23-1850 has failed. Thank you everyone for staying with us tonight. On Tuesday, February 20th, 2024, Council will hold a required public hearing on Bill 24-0011, changing the zoning classification for 2360 North Cherry Street in North Park Hill and a required public hearing on Council Bill 24-0012, changing the zoning classification for 653 North Marion Street in Country Club. Any protests against Council Bill 24-011 or Council Bill 24-0012, must be filed with the council offices no later than noon on Monday, February 12, 2024. Uh, there being no further business before this body, this meeting is adjourned. <laughs>